Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 51 of the Diamond Duo Podcast. My name is Tom Bauer, joined, as always, by my co-producer and co-host, Tony Puglisi, as we explore the wide world of baseball and its long and strenuous offseason for some teams, such as the Colorado Rockies. For other teams, like the New York Yankees, it's going pretty f***ing well. This episode is brought to you by the Happy Holidays to every single one of you. Merry Hanukkah, Happy Boxing day merry christmas all that fun stuff happy holidays and of course go out and support your local cinema because they are showing a top five christmas movie of all time violent night that was a mess of an intro tony but i'm glad we got it out of the way because we've literally been rambling on for 13 <laughs> minutes in our recording hey you got through it and it was something coherent that didn't start with the word hiya so I think that's an A-plus intro compared to what we had going five minutes ago. I honestly didn't know where you were going with it in terms of who this is brought to you by, considering we could have said listeners like you. Thank you. But I suppose I'll have that saved for my outro now. That's an inside joke that nobody's going to get except us two. Yeah, now we're going to have to explain that, that we were literally talking about PBS for like five minutes. Like... (laughs) Like in the pre-recording. You're talking about like seven things in this pre-recording. Like Tom, for those of you who were wondering, and that's probably nobody, but I'm going to tell you anyway, Tom sifts through like we have usually between five and 15 minutes of just unused material from when we start recording to when one of us actually does the intro. And that's where a good chunk of bloopers this second year of the podcast are coming from. It is comedy gold, (laughs) and you're going to hear a lot of them this time next year when we do the two year anniversary of the Diamond Duo podcast because trust me ladies and gentlemen the blooper folder is growing and it's growing exponentially thanks in large part to uh to PBS Kids I guess and and Krusty the Clown (laughs) yeah Tony did a very nice Krusty the Clown impression in the pre-recording that I am actually going to make a drop of and I'm going to insert it into the episode (gasps) right now (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that (laughs) if you're completely scared and never want to talk to me or listen to my baseball opinions again i understand <laughs> the haunt your yeah. nightmares i'll also understand yeah after tony did that we then promptly had a two-minute discussion on whether tony's uh, laugh should be classified as crusty the creep or creepy crusty <laughs> and well, uh like the creepy crusty sounds so like it sounds so much worse crusty already sounds like a disgusting word creep you get connotations of like you know oh he's a creep i don't like him like, Krusty the Creep, you have the in there. The is like the mixer. It's like mixing rum, vodka, and orange juice. The is the orange <laughs> juice in that uh, title. That's a combination you know a lot about, Tony. I will say that. <laughs> yeah, bad example. Or maybe good example. You know what? No, perfect example. That's an inside joke that we are not going to share on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that one's not coming up in the bloopers folder. I hate to tell you. Sorry, folks. Our lovely viewers out there. See, I caught myself that time. Yeah, our viewers like you. Thank you. This program was made possible by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. (laughs) This Uh, intro is a mess, but I love it. Yeah, we just need a donation from the National Science Foundation, and then this would be set. We we would be, like, on PBS (laughs) right now. Airing right after, what was the show you told me about? Rough, rough fetch, fetching rough. What's it called? Uh, I literally sent you the link. It's a uh, fetch with rough roughman. Oh, that's it. 
Yeah, it was a uh, kid show on PBS. Also, Cyber Chase was another show I was talking about. Why Why is this? I'm also realizing we're like five minutes into this intro. Why are we talking about PBS? <laughs> because why not? <laughs> because there's so little baseball going on. This is what we talk about now. Surprise, we're a PBS podcast now. A podcast broadcasting service. With viewers like you. Thank you. This program was made possible by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. I'm going to stop doing that. <laughs> I was going to say, we've done that like three times. You know, I'll save it for the outro. Yes. <laughs> we'll keep it till then, but... Oh, God. I, I was trying to make I... this an intro about, like, happy holidays, and I was going to go into a mini-review about <laughs> Violent Night, but I don't feel like that's necessary anymore because we've gotten on a rambling spiel for the past, like, five minutes. Uh, here's the five-second review. Hilarious, stupid, dumb, bloody fun. No story, but it doesn't matter. Seven out of ten. <laughs> I would give it an eight and a half out of ten. Uh, <laughs> I think I think the film snob, movie. the film snob left over in me can't give it anything higher than a seven. But it was raw, raucously fun. <laughs> oh, it was hilarious! Easily a top five Christmas movie of mine, and I would say of all time. It compares to all the other Christmas movies out there. Right up there with Die Hard. I mean, it kind. Of, I feel like it kind of is like a Die Hard like ripoff. I'm not gonna lie. Like I haven't oh, like, seen Die Hard. And like a long time to actually what? Oh. make that direct comparison, but I thought you were about to tell me to my face that you've never seen Die Hard. In which case, I would have stopped the episode, streamed Die Hard, and we'd record some other time. <laughs> I literally watched it the other day with my girlfriend because she hadn't seen it before. So be proud of me, ladies and gentlemen. Another human being has been made privy to the greatest Christmas movie of all time, and that's Die Hard. It's really it's a Wonderful Life, but it's Die Hard. I was literally about to ask, is it a Christmas movie? Because that is a debate that many people have had over the years. See, I consider it a Christmas movie because, f*** you, it's Die Hard. Because I always want an excuse to watch it. <laughs> but also, I don't know, like, I, I thought, like, ew, no, it's not, when I was a kid. But then, I don't know, I watched it more and more, and it's like, this movie's great. It's It kind of gives me Christmas vibes, you know, the beginning and the end. And why the hell not? It's, I don't know, I feel like people who are like, no, it's not a Christmas movie. They're just, they're just being sticks in the mud. Because I love Die Hard doesn't mean I don't love It's a Wonderful Life. That's like a top 15 movie for me. I love It's a Wonderful Life. But no, Die Hard gets to play too. Just, I, I, I think it's, I think it's a Christmas movie. Absolutely, I would agree. Now, I would love to talk about Christmas more and Violent Night more, but we actually do have an episode to get on to, and we actually had material that we had to skip over two weeks ago, and we have to get to that in this episode. So, I think we should um, save off on our PBS and Christmas discussion and start a whole new podcast about that some other day. But uh, that, that'll be good. Tom and Tony Critique Film. Maybe we can come up with a classier title. Um, to that in the future. Unless you can think of one in the next five seconds. I'll put you on the spot. Uh, Tom and Tony go to the movies. It's a complete ripoff of Siskel and Ebert. Damn. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of the name. I, you, I put you on the spot and you've thoroughly disappointed me. My night is now ruined. I have four seconds. Cut me a break. <laughs> there's, not, there's no film synonym that starts with T. So. Theater. Oh, Ma, damn it. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, those disclaimers, like I talked yeah, about, please, they're, 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 yeah, there's still a baseball show. Let's let's get on with the episode. We're recording on the evening of Sunday, December the 18th. It's about 10:30 right now. After the winter meetings, so hopefully Tom and I won't need to record 
two extra times over the course of the coming week. Psych! Yes, that's what we f***ing did last time. You all heard it, and it was so much fun, except it wasn't because we had to keep planning around it because people kept signing deals. Yeah, I was about to say, did you not have fun <laughs> singing me New York, it. New York last week? Oh no, you beat me to it. That was the best part. That was the best part of the whole episode. God, I'm gonna have... I'm going to have so much to edit out of this intro. We've been going on for 10 <laughs> minutes about theater and PBS. And 10 all that, and minutes? I feel, like, I feel like I'm going to have to crop this down. <laughs> it's so funny because we were literally telling ourselves, oh, this is going to be a shorter episode because we already have stuff from last week we could play this Psych! week. Psych! Psych! Guess it's not happening. But, you know what, to prevent that from happening, I'm going to read the second disclaimer. Follow us on social media, please. We are at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter, The Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram. We may have some fun graphics coming at you this week for two segments we're going to be doing. So be sure to keep an eye out for those. Vote for what you're going to need to vote for. Wink, wink. And just give us a follow. We are a good one. We're going to hope to pump out some more off-season content eventually when one of us has a stroke of genius. That's it for the disclaimers. Tom, before we get into another PBS-laden rant, would you like to get into the transactions of the past two weeks? Because we've actually got quite a few to get through. Please, can we? We need to get through this episode. We're trying to do this in <laughs> record time, by the way, folks. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, let's, let's get right into it. So, again, these are from the past, like, two weeks, essentially. If anything happens after this episode, obviously we're not gonna get to it, but luckily there's not really any super mega free agents out there left over, so we really shouldn't be running into that problem. <laughs> Other than that, let's get right into it, Tony. Absolutely. We're gonna do this the same as we've always done it, roughly five or so at a time. I'm going to start it off with the Red Sox doing something for a change. They signed, they were the winners of the Masataka Yoshida sweepstakes. The big bopper out of Japan is now a Boston Red Sox for five years and $90 million. He also received 15, this is a very specific number, $15.375 million as a posting fee to get him in MLB. So, congrats to the Red Sox. You secured yourself a corner outfielder for the next half decade, but at a cost. At a cost of being outbid by the Dodgers' little brother, or I guess big brother after this postseason, out west. Because Xander Bogarts is not a Boston Red Sox. He is going to be nothing but a San Diego Padre till the end of his career because they were crazy enough. You know, AJ Preller lost out on Aaron Judge and Trey Turner. He's like, I gotta spend this money on somebody. So he offers Xander Bogarts an 11-year, $280 million contract for someone not as young as he used to be. You know, he's still relatively young. How old is he, Tom? Like 30? Like 31 years old? 29? Something like that? I'm, I'm gonna go on a limb and say 28. We both definitely have baseball reference pulled up, so I'm just gonna search him real quickly. He Oh, wow, he's actually 30 years old. I'm sorry. I was going to say he's like 29 or 30, so 11 years. That man's going to be 41 years old at the end of that. Uh, good luck, Padres. Next up, speaking of contracts that seem like overpayments, Brandon Nimmo is a New York Met again for eight years and $162 million. Uncle Steve just throwing the bank account at the wind right now. Just get the team back. Don't tell me the cost. Just get them back. So Brandon Nimmo is going to be a Met for the rest of his career. Speaking of the Mets, they also fortified their bullpen with David Robertson. He signed for one year, $10 million. Nice little contract for a guy who was low-key really locked down for the Phillies in their postseason run. And the last one I've got for you for the time being, Kevin Kiermeyer, longtime Tampa Bay Ray, is now a Toronto Blue Jay. He joins 
the Toronto squad on a one-year, $9 million deal, was hurt a good chunk of last year. We'll see if he could revitalize his career even a little bit up north. Well, you know how we just mentioned the Mets twice already? Well, spoiler alert, we're about to mention them a third time. Kodai Senga, the other Japanese product out in the free agent market, signs with the Mets for five years at $75 million with opt-outs and a no-trade clause. There's a deal I'm about to mention for a former Mets pitcher that I think supersedes it technically in AAV, so I'm actually surprised that the Mets managed to get Senga for kind of a cheap deal for what people are expecting out of him. Next up is Sean Manaya going to the San Francisco Giants at two years and $25 million with an opt-out after 2023. The Bay Area team saw his stats in the Padres and it's like, you know what, he was good in the other side of the Bay Area when he was there previously. Let's try and spring those numbers out of him because it worked for Kevin Gosman when he came over from Baltimore or Toronto, wherever the hell he came from, and maybe it'll definitely work for the home run giving up guy, Sean Manaya. That was a terrible throw. <laughs> Chris Bassett, that Mets guy I mentioned a second ago. Blue Jay now for three years at $63 million. My first reaction was $21 million a year for Chris Bassett. God damn. However... This does partially solidify that Blue Jays rotation as a top 10 rotation in baseball. If you go down the line, it's a very, very good one through five. Just thinking off the top of my head, it's Manoa, Gosman, Bassett, uh, Kikuchi, and uh, Barrios. Very, very respectable. Uh, my fourth deal here, <laughs> I was literally mentioning the A's a minute ago. How about the A's? <laughs> They had a three-team trade with the Brewers and the Braves, and we don't understand this one at all. The A's decide, you know what, we're going to ship off Sean Murphy to the Atlanta Braves. And you know what, we got fleeced last year with Christian Pache, the Braves' top prospect. Let's take their top prospect again and hope this time it actually pans out. They got Kyle Muller as that. They decided Manny Pena was going to be their backup catcher instead of William Contreras, who actually went to the Brewers. Uh, Freddie Tarnock, don't know who he is, don't know who Robert Salinas is, and Estuary Perez, part of that Josh Hader deal back in July, that went to Oakland. I'm pretty sure they could have gotten a much better package at the trade deadline when they probably should have traded him. So yeah, Atlanta only got Sean Murphy in this deal, and William Contreras went to Milwaukee, as I mentioned, with Justin Yeager and Joel Payamp. Payamps. I'm not going to be able to pronounce I I apologize, Joel. I probably didn't <laughs> pronounce that right. Uh, but that is the three-team trade, and that is a terrible trade for the Oakland A's. And that is why their payroll will always be probably less than $50 million. Last deal I've got right now is Christian Vasquez to the Twins. Three years at $30 million. It's official. It's sad. Gary Sanchez won't be a Minnesota Twin next year. So much for the revenge tour. Am I right, Tom? He'll have to take his revenge probably with the Red Sox or whichever team is still looking for a catcher, maybe the Astros. Actually, that would make me sad. Oh boy, speaking of making me sad, actually, no, this deal doesn't make me sad. Mike Zunino. Oh no, I had a throw right there. Speaking of catchers, damn it. Dumbass. Rewind time. That didn't happen. Uh, Speaking of catchers. No, I'm not. I'm I'm not doing that. You just did your own (laughs) sound effect. I'm leaving that in. Either way, speaking of catchers, none of that. None of that previous exchange happened. Uh, Mike Zanino is going to the Guardians for one year and six dollars. (laughs) Apparently. That's a great deal. (laughs) Holy shit. That's right up Cleveland's alley. They love cheap contracts. Six dollars. (laughs) Damn. 
I think I forgot to put million in this rundown. <laughs> Damn, my bus ride's more expensive than Mike Zunino's contract. What the fuck? <laughs> that reminds me of that meme super quick. Have you seen that? It's it's like a hockey meme. It's like, oh, highest paid player in football, $340 million. <laughs> Baseball, $400 million. NBA, like $320 million. Connor McDavid, $7. <laughs> if you're a hockey guy, you know why that's hilarious, because hockey players do not get paid as much as MLB players. But either way, Mike Zunino to the Guardians, one year, $6 million. Going to be a mentor-type figure for Bo Naylor, young catcher developing in that system. I like the signing a lot. Ross Stripling to the Giants for two years, $25 million is the next deal I've got. I like this deal, too. He's got an opt-out after one year. Kind of reminds me of what they picked up in Alex Cobb last year from the Angels. Low-key, Stripling had a great year in Baltimore, uh, not Baltimore, sorry, Toronto. I think with the Giants' pitching help, I think he could keep it up and be a fantastic pitcher next year. Someone who I'm not too confident is going to be a fantastic pitcher is Ryan Yarbrough, who I learned today is Bro Yarbrough instead of Burrow, like the Borough of Queens. Not the Queens, Tom, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Yarbrough's going to the Royals for one year, $3 million. Nice little buy. Low option for Kansas City, who was really, really, really starved for pitching help. My penultimate deal, as Tom put it, Carlos Bitch-Ass Correa to the Giants for 13 years. <laughs> Hilarious. My last deal for now is a pitcher, Noah Syndergaard, is going to go to the Dodgers for one year, $13 million. Another buy low candidate, although... Thor did kind of fall into form last year in Philadelphia. I know he was in the bullpen at one point, but I believe down the stretch he was actually somewhat effective. If the Dodgers could fix him, he may have bought himself a nice contract for after next year, considering how the market is now, but we'll have to see. All right, I've got a zinger of a deal out in Detroit. Scott Harris is spending all that money, baby, on Michael Lorenzen. He's a Detroit Tiger one year up to 10 million dollars that's definitely going to save our buddy jack from uh scooping his eyes out of his eye sockets uh that's definitely going to save the detroit tigers in their atrocious rotation um era last year okay so i'm gonna try and not scream when i talk about this deal but there's a good chance that we're going to be possibly deep diving this a little bit more as tony put carlos rodon to the f***ing yankees baby Six years at $162 million. OMG. Did this, did this, did this make me extremely happy? Why are you fixing your grammar mistakes on the rundown, Tony? You don't need to do that. Nothing's happening. <laughs> You're inserting the million now after the six and 350. That'll work wonders. I saw your crimes earlier. The evidence is still there. Talk about Carlos Rodon. You didn't see anything. Shh, shh, shh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm right. Uh, you're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rodon, that makes us very excited as Yankees fans, so we will be talking about that a little bit more. Uh, another deal for the Mets. Omar Narvaez says, F*** you to Francisco Alvarez in your development. Two years, $15 million uh, with the Mets, the former all-star in Narvaez. I'm assuming that means James McCann will be shipped out of town pretty soon. I also hear Cookie Carrasco could be shipping out of town very soon as well, possibly in a package deal. But that's just all speculation. Oh, um, oh hang on. We got a new, another New York icon. We actually got two New York icons in a row. Holy sh**. Joey Gallo. <laughs> Gary Sanchez 2.0 for the Twins next year. One year, $11 million. 
with Minnesota. <laughs> now, I'm not going to shit on Joey Gallo too, too much here because he did receive a lot of poor treatment in New York for poor performance, I may add, but probably treated a little bit too harshly by New York fans. So I kind of feel bad for him a little bit there. I know he was struggling a little bit mentally there. In Minnesota, the um, bar is definitely not going to be raised nearly as high. I mean, come on. What are we <laughs> expecting out of the Twins, honestly? Uh, my final deal, uh, possibly of the segment, depending on how we format this, that other New York icon, Andrew Benintendi, rem- remember when he was like a Yankee for 20 games before he got hurt? He's now a Chicago White Sox for five years at $75 million. The White Sox determined that's going to be our big deal of the offseason. That's going to save the franchise. <laughs> The way to save our franchise is stunting Oscar Colas's development. Oh yeah, unless they DH Eloy, I guess. I, I that's what I was about to say. Maybe, but yeah, but then then again, they have Robert out there, and that dude gets hurt every f-ing day. So I mean, they might want to put him at DH. Then again, he'll probably like blow his hip out swinging or something. So it doesn't really matter. This is not going to age well, I don't think, for the White Sox. That's all. Pedro Griffal is really about to say, hey, can I just DH everybody? My guys get hurt too much. Can I have multiple DHs, please? I'll just leave <laughs> left field empty. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That'll work. Sounds like a Tony LaRusso strat waiting to happen, but... <laughs> I, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised given the state of the White Sox and what he was able to accomplish, <laughs> or not accomplish, I should say, in the past no, two seasons. All right, Tony, I think we have six deals left. Some groundbreaking stuff, as I can see you as I'm looking at the bottom deal. I will let you take it from here. You can just rattle off the final six. Sounds good. So we're going to stay in Chicago for this next deal, but uh, next two deals, actually. But we're going up to the north side because the Cubs have a new shortstop. And unlike my prediction from earlier, it's not going to be Carlos Correa. It's going to be Dansby Swanson. He is going to be a Cub for the next seven years at $177 million. Internet's kind of divided on this one. Atlanta Braves fans are kind of salty that he left, but if I was offered that money, after I already won a World Series in my hometown, I'd have taken it too. Staying with the Cubs, Drew Smiley's actually going to be back with the team. Oh man, Tom, the Cubs are saved. They have Drew Smiley and Keen, Keen, I almost said Keenan Thompson. What's that guy's name? Keegan Thompson, I think? That pitcher? They have, like, two young pitchers. I know one's Justin Steele, but he's actually good. Uh, yeah, it, it is Keegan Thompson. Keegan. Okay, good. I was like, Keegan. God damn it. But, yeah, Smiley's back with the Cubs. I actually don't think at the time of this recording we have details of the deal. I can't imagine it's anything longer than a year or two. So, take that for what it is. Some veteran presence in the rotation. We've got Michael Brantley going back to the Astros for a year at $12 million. There goes my Andrew Benintendi backup plan for the Yankees. I thought Brantley would have fit nicely here, but guess the Yankees are looking elsewhere. That's honestly a really nice deal for the Astros. Uh, the Red Sox. Oh, dear, the Red Sox. Oh, God, Tom, wait, I just realized, speaking of the Red Sox and this player, we forgot J.D. Martinez. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hey, you know what? I caught it now. It's better catching it now than when we're editing it. I'm glad you're catching it now. Why don't you just explain what happened instead of being like, oh my god, we're idiots. (laughs) I mean, we are idiots, but... Well, yeah. I'll talk about these next two back-to-back, because these have to do with the Dodgers and the Red Sox. I'll talk about the first one first. Red Sox have their new DH. It's Justin Turner. They gave him a multi-year deal, which I find interesting. The guy's almost 40. Nice voice crack. The guy's almost 40... And they gave him two years, $22 million. Not the worst deal, especially if he taps into that uh, slugging prowess he's displayed, you know, past five or so years in L.A. 
And the second deal, second deal that I not so subtly just blurted out, the Dodgers are replacing Justin Turner with J.D. Martinez. Well, he's not going to play third base, but he's going to be their full-time DH, or at least part-time. They reached a one-year deal with him. I believe the article's loading right now, so give it a second. I'm going to say $10 million. Oh, it was $10 million. Thank you, Tom. Ha-ha. So, one-year 10 mil for J.D. Martinez. That could low-key be a steal, especially if they use him just as a lefty killer, but we'll have to see. Two more moves, and Tom, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen out there, I need you to brace yourselves, because these two moves might break baseball. You thought that Bogart's going to the Padres was ridiculous. Just you wait for Garrett Hampson signing a minor league deal with the Marlins. Mother of God, Miami! Miami's making moves, people. They're ready to compete. We don't even have the parameters of the contract yet. Je Jesus, man. Kim Ang. Congratulations. Round of applause to Kim Ang for really, <laughs> really building up for the division race with this one. Why'd you put this in the rundown? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it was a I comment say... I saw on that Ken Rosenthal tweet, and I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Just salty Marlins fans. They're they're so funny. I say that because we know a salty Marlins fan. Sorry, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, we're I I can't I can't tease that because that's going to be possibly for next episode. But you'll get the picture uh, in two weeks from now of why I'm laughing about that. <laughs> Absolutely. But last, but most certainly not least, we have the biggest trade of the offseason, and it's not even close because it has to deal with two National League powerhouses in the Rockies and the Pirates you know, noted, noted NL pennant holders. Uh, the Pirates from the Rockies are getting Connor Joe, former first round pick of the Pirates, actually. Uh, the Colorado Rockies got him somehow. Frankly, I don't remember, but he's going back to Pittsburgh and back to the Rockies. They are getting all-time pitching legend Nick Garcia. Don't know what he's done. Frankly, I've never heard of him up till this point, but he's a legend. Can't wait. I don't think it'll save the Pirates from the monumental loss of releasing Hoy Park earlier in the offseason, but we'll see. Well, before it gets too late, why don't we actually deep dive one of these, Tom? I'll let you, I'll let you go first. We got a few we can pick from. Let's start with the three shortstops and their big deals over the past two weeks. Now, if you're forgetting who that fourth shortstop is, that was Trey Turner. He signed a deal with the with the it's Trey Turner signed a deal with the Trey Turners. He signed a deal with the <laughs> Philadelphia Phillies that we deep dived a little bit in the last episode. So go listen to that if you want to hear commentary about that. This time again, we're focusing on Xander Bogarts to the Padres, eleven for two eighty. Uh, Carlos Bichas Correa to the Giants for thirteen at three fifty. And Dansby Swanson, seven years, $177 million with the Chicago Cubs. Now, I guess we'll start off in Slam Diego. I think, now, there was a really cool nickname. I just want to start off with this. That San Diego was giving Xander Bogarts. And I completely forget what it was, but I thought it was an incredible nickname. It was Zan Diego. Zan Diego, yes. X-A-N Diego, and that sounds f***ing awesome. Yes. Props to the marketing team who or whoever the hell came up with that one. They should get a raise. They probably won't, but I feel bad for them. So they should get a raise. San Diego. <laughs> now, this is an interesting deal. So obviously, Tony, I think this means one thing, and that's pretty much confirmed. Fernando Tatis Jr. is not going to be the shortstop of the Slam Diego Padres anymore. He's probably going to be playing left field, which I will admit the Padres desperately need a little bit of outfield help. They did get Juan Soto last year, but um, Will Myers is no longer on the team. 
I, I also just remembered uh, Eric Hosmer was DFA'd by the uh, Boston Red Sox. We forgot to talk about that, of course. Eh, it's fine. Yeah, that doesn't really matter. I just wanted to throw that out there because of Boston's failed deals in high and bloom. Uh, but, um, any rate. Oh, and Jeter Downs, too. Oh, and Jeter Downs. Jesus Christ, they're a <laughs> dumpster fire. Uh, so yeah, Xander gets away from the show that is Boston and goes to a perennial possible show that is San Diego, although they did just make the NLCS, so I don't know why I'm complaining. This is definitely going to help the team offensively, but Tony, you were kind of talking about this a little bit when you brought up San Diego. I think this deal is going to age horribly. He's already 30 years old. I think he'll be a very good offensive player for like the first six years or so, but he's not there defensively with the other shortstops. I mean, he's maybe a little bit better than Fernando Tatis Jr. I don't think he's got as good of an arm as he does, but then again, Tatis makes as many errors as IKF pretty much did at shortstop for the Yankees this year, so they can't get any worse than that, I don't think. I mean, these mega deals, though, they're meant for like the first six years. The last few years usually don't matter as long as you win in the first few i completely agree with that last part because with what the padres just did in going to the nlcs you need to bolster that lineup and i love that they went out and got a guy like bogarts i think the padres biggest worry last year in the hitting department was home run and overall power you know xander's not going to hit you 40 home runs a year but he's got gap to gap power the guy hit how many doubles in Fenway last year, which that carried over to Cavernous Petco Park. Maybe it won't be as much, but still, I like that part. The part where he's going to be 40 and still on the team, though, you're going to have to worry how much, how badly that contract is going to age. He's so consistent that I honestly think he'll still be good offensively, even up until he's close to 40, but... Like you said, Tom, defensively, he's going to be a liability. He did take a big step up this year, which I'm honestly really impressed with. He was always that, like, great hitting shortstop who could be elite if he just tweaked his defense. Last year, defense was great. Not the best in baseball, but definitely not what it used to be, and I like that. So, he's very likely going to be the shortstop for San Diego all year next year. Tatis is probably moving to DH, or Tom, like you said, left field. Tatis has been very vocal in not wanting to play the outfield, which has led to some weird rumors about Tatis getting traded. Uh, the Yankees were actually in that at one point, and I kind of was just scratching my head because, mm -hmm. A, Tatis really doesn't have trade value right now. Like, why would the Yankees trade for a guy who just injured himself on a motorcycle and got his own ass suspended in the middle of his comeback because of steroids. Like, if they actually want to trade Tatis, they're going to need to wait and see if he's actually still worth it after the uh, after he comes back from his suspension. But that's all hearsay. I'm not going to pay it any more mind than what I already did. The big thing I want to leave off with the Padres, and then we'll jump to another shortstop, it's been heavily rumored that Manny, uh, I almost said Manny Ramirez, <laughs> Manny Machado is going to opt out of his deal with the Padres next year uh, in search yeah. for a bigger bag. So, me thinks this Xander signing is kind of a two-way failsafe. He could be the shortstop long-term if Tatis either A, doesn't shape up, B, comes back worse after everything that's happened, or C, gets traded, or you can plan to hold on to Fernando for the whole year, see what happens with Manny. If you end up losing Manny, you could shift one of the two over to third base. I'd recommend Tatis, because like you said, Tom, he has a stronger arm. Bogarts has better reflexes, better reaction, better instincts over there, better fit for shortstop than Fernando, but you just got to wait to see how Fernando will react to that. You know, his character's not exactly most conducive to teamwork, which is not good in baseball, but 
We've talked about Tatis. Uh, enough on that regard. Bogart's contract, I think, is really weird. The money's going to be... Not even the money, just the years. Going to be a major oof. I Honestly, Tom, I think one of these mega deals, bare minimum one, is going to royally blow up in their team's faces sooner than we think. I'm talking guys like DeGrom, Judge, Bogarts, uh, Dansby now, which we're going to get to the latter two in just a second, but that's just my way of thinking. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And I honestly think two of them can blow up. And spoiler alert, two of them I'm thinking of could potentially be the shortstops. One of them I think could be Xander Bogarts. Another one will be one of the two shortstops that we're going to be talking about. And I guess I could say number three would be Jacob DeGrom. Because with his injury history, I don't know if he's really going to be worth that money. Um, it is interesting that you mentioned Manny Machado is going to be a free agent potentially next year, as he's scheduled to make $32 million through like 2028. So I guess he wants more money, but then again, what's $8 million to be fair? If you're money chasing after $8 million, unless you really don't like playing in San Diego, which I don't know why you wouldn't, it's beautiful. They have a beautiful city, a beautiful ballpark. The fan base is growing and only getting better. And you have Don Orsillo. You have Don Orsillo. You literally just made the NLCS. They're clearly investing in the betterment of this team, which we don't see out of a lot of quote-unquote small market teams. I don't know why he would do that, but you're absolutely right. I just wanted to agree with you. This is definitely insurance for that as well. So I guess now we get to move on to <laughs> the other shortstop, which I'm just realizing is also in the NL West. Bitch I think something's wrong with the recording, I think I think there's a glitch going on. You hear that too, right? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to figure out what it is. I'm trying to get to the root of the problem. Yeah, no, you want to just hard reset it? I don't know. I don't really see it. Yeah, there's a glitch in the matrix. Hang on, let me uh shut this one down. Well, I think we're glad that that stopped. Hey everyone, Editor Tom and Tony here, and if you couldn't tell by how many times we foreshadowed what has kind of happened with Carlos Correa, yeah, let's just say Tony and I are having PTSD flashbacks to last weekend. Why is that, Tony? What did we wake up to at 3.30 in the morning? Well, we woke up to probably the biggest news out of New York in the offseason so far. I'd argue the entire offseason just because of how out of nowhere this is, because Aaron Judge is now the captain of the New York Yankees. Oh my god, I wish that was the biggest story for today. It probably should have been. In my heart it is. I was gonna say, like, the way I look at it, like, oh, that's such a great moment for this franchise, such a great step forward, the ceremonial passing of the torch. But I don't really think we could talk about today without talking about yesterday just a little bit, if only because... Around midday yesterday, by the way, if you couldn't tell, we're recording this on December the 21st. Yesterday was December the 20th, and yesterday was also when word got out that the presser, the San Francisco Giants presser to introduce Carlos Correa was postponed. And it was later revealed it was because some kind of blip had come up in his medical check. There was something wrong with him. And we went to bed, not thinking anything of it. They'll probably introduce him next week, you know, after the holiday. Tom, what we instead woke up to was the announcement that not only is Carlos Correa not a San Francisco Giant anymore, 
that Steve Cohen opened his bottomless pockets again Mm -hmm. and scooped up the perennial shortstop to play third base for his $800 million super team. I still cannot f***ing believe the words that are coming out of my mouth right now. (laughs) I'm looking at the deal right now and I still cannot believe it. It's a lesser deal, by the way, which, you know, Steve probably haggled by virtue of, hey, you're injured. We're not going to give you the same money we once were, but we'll still give you 300 mil. The deal's actually loading. I believe it's 200 million. uh, Sorry, 12 years. 200. Jesus, that's a hell of a bargain for Carlos Correa. <laughs> I'm gonna no. go off the top of I'm gonna go off the top of my head and say thirteen for three hundred and twenty-five million. Uh three hundred fifteen, but you're right. Twelve yeah, years. Close enough. Yeah, uh Tom, what the hell? <laughs> so usually I wake up to about twenty messages missed when I uh wake up in the mornings. I had about a hundred this morning. Whether it be emails <laughs> telling me about breaking news, Korea signed overnight and whatnot. I woke up and I went Oh, no. And I put my phone down, and then I tried to go back to sleep. And for the next 10 minutes, I rolled over in bed, and my brain was trying to comprehend what the actual F just happened overnight as I was sleeping. And then I rolled back over 10 minutes later, and literally every single thought of mine just faded. It's like, I've almost accepted this reality, and then I went to sleep for 20 more minutes. And then I woke up again and went to sleep for another hour, but that's not the point. The point (laughs) is, this was one hell of a crazy start to the day that broke at like 3.30 in the morning, too. Like, what the hell? People are trying to sleep. The poor Jeff Passons of the world are probably getting woken up saying, report, 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 report. (laughs) Ah, God. And to think it came together when, I think it was Scott Boris or Steve Cohen was in Hawaii, too. Yeah, I think it was Steve. Yeah, Boris texted him, and he said, Kareemus is back, or something like that, uh, referring to Carlos Correa, obviously. And then they negotiated a deal within the next 12 hours. So, (laughs) he's a Met now. Dude. As if we couldn't get enough of all the Carlos Correa chit-chat in New York to begin with. It's almost like, oh, thank God, he's on the West Coast. We're not going to have to deal with him as much. He's not in the Yankees League anymore. Psych! He's in the Yankee City now. Ugh. He's in New York, where he's hated now by only half of the baseball fandom. Can I just commend Correa for doing something I never thought possible? He is probably the only player in MLB history that both Giants and Dodger fans can come together and say, yeah, we f***ing hate that guy. <laughs> he's, he's united the rivalry. I mean, Tom, if I'm a Giants fan right now, you know, I, I'm upset at Correa, but I think I'm more upset, like, exponentially more upset at my front office. Granted, Farhad, the man in charge of the Giants, yeah, probably doesn't, he wouldn't just let him go. He wouldn't just say, oh, we signed this guy to $350 million. It's fine, Steve, you could have him. Maybe they saw something that they weren't willing to take a risk on. Maybe they saw something that said, huh, this 13-year deal, which we hope to look bad in maybe nine years, might look bad in five. So we're going to back out of this. Tom, how would the logistics of this even work? Because I, I guess technically he didn't sign the contract yet, so he was still, when it comes to the paperwork, still technically up in the air. But I don't know, I've never seen this happen before in my life. Nor have I heard of something like this happening before. It's unprecedented, because I almost feel like there needs to be an MLB investigation into it. But I think you're right, though. If he already signed a contract with San Francisco, because it hasn't been formally announced, technically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the team probably put out a thing that said, welcome to San Francisco. But nothing was set in stone. 
and I think that's the trick. But my question is, does the rest of the league need to be notified that Correa is now on the market again, so that way there's fair play involved? Now, I don't know, because again, like you said, this has never really happened before. So we can't really use an example, or there might not even be a rule about this in play necessarily. But Scott Boris used his power. He went to the richest owner in baseball, and he said, my client wants money. You have a winning team, winning culture, and clearly you're going to spend about another $2 billion in the next three off-seasons alone. So we'd like to make a deal happen. And that was the moment that the Mets truly became the new evil empire in New York. Not the Yankees anymore. The Mets are the evil empire. Because they arguably have baseball's biggest villain on their team now. Which I think is funny. Because I feel like this is exactly what happened with the Yankees when they got A-Rod. Except he wasn't necessarily a big villain yet then. Or at least not as much as he was later in his career when everybody pretty much hated his guts by the end of it. But still, you have a shortstop... And he pretty much just told his team, I'm not going to be here. Somehow that fell through. And he moved to third because Jeter was at short. Lindor is at short. And now Correa is presumably going to third. Now Lindor also mentioned that he wanted his buddy Carlos Correa to play with him for the longest time now. And probably already made that known to Steve Cohen very, very much. But that's besides the point. They are the evil empire now because of this move. And... I'm not going to lie, I kind of like Steve Cohen's approach, because now there's no excuse for any other owner that they can't do this. I'm not saying you're going to have to spend almost a billion dollars in one offseason. That's unrealistic for, like, any franchise, really. But there's no more excuses. There's literally a luxury tax, or the Steve Cohen rule, and he's, he's breaking the rule that's named after him. He's going to have the biggest luxury tax in the world. There was a Twitter picture today of like a gate that was on the sidewalk, but you could clearly walk around the gate. And it said, this is the Steve Cohen rule to Steve Cohen. And that's exactly what this is. It's a gate that he can easily walk around because he actually cares about winning. This doesn't matter to him. This is play money. And he's going to do whatever it takes to make the wet Mets, the wets, the Mets a winning franchise. <laughs> I mean... The thought of making the Mets a winning franchise two years ago, I want to emphasize this. This is, you remember two years ago when the Mets were in first place up until July and they ended the year with a losing record? Yet now they have the biggest payroll in baseball history, superstars at pretty much every position imaginable except catcher. If this team does not win the World Series within the next two or three seasons, delete the franchise. Like, this is beyond an all-in push. This is a statement by Steve Cohen saying, money's not an object to me. I want to win. I'm not going to f***ing stop until I do. And I've seen the argument come up online like, oh, is Steve Cohen good for baseball? In what realm is this not good for baseball? Like, I'm a Yankee fan who has no real attachment to the Mets. I don't care about the Mets. I don't root for them, nor do I really root against them. So when I say that what Steve Cohen is doing should be seen as a good thing. I really mean that. This really should incentivize owners to stop resting on their laurels and actually spend, invest in their product. I've seen a lot of people call out the Red Sox ownership for this when they didn't want to pay 
for Mookie Betts. Or Xander Bogarts. Or Xander Bogarts, or very likely in the future, Rafael Devers. This could apply to every owner in baseball, though. The Red Sox are definitely one of the more egregious offenders, but still, Steve Cohen should really be seen as the example to all 29 other owners. This is a marvel what he's doing, and like you said, Tom, this is not a yearly thing. Steve Cohen isn't just gonna casually drop a billion dollars on the Mets every single offseason, or may, I don't know, maybe he will. Maybe next year he'll reel it in and only spend a measly $600 million, you know, chump change. Exactly. I like your A-Rod comp because I, that's something I was thinking about too. That left side of the infield is easily the best in baseball, and I don't think it's particularly close. I'm, tr I'm trying to think right now because if Tatis comes back at full strength, you definitely have the Padres competing for that. Well, you have Xander Bogarts and Manny Machado there anyway, so that's oh, already formidable too. Ooh, actually, no, I think the Padres might take that. I, I'm way higher on Manny than I am on Correa. Even if it's not the best, that's a scary left side of the infield. Yeah, it's up there. Exactly, and the fact that the Mets barely even had a third baseman going into the year, and now you could play Brett Beatty at his natural position in left field when he comes up? More power to ya. I'm not gonna go gung-ho, just all in on the Mets right now. There's people crowning them like, oh my god, is this the best team ever that we've ever seen? Is this the best lineup in baseball? They're definitely in contention for it. I definitely think Correa shoots them up from, I don't know, maybe like top five, maybe a little lower to probably top three, but the Astros still exist. Mm -hmm. If the Padres get Tatis back, they're definitely up there. The Dodgers, they're still up there. The long and short of it is, what the Mets did is a fantastic thing for baseball. They're fans. I've never seen Mets fans so loud, and it kind of makes me want to see them burn out in the first round again, just to kind of <laughs> laugh. Because, <laughs> Tom, tell, tell me I'm wrong. Steve Cohen builds an Eiffel Tower of money to spend on the Mets. How funny would it be if this team loses to, like, the second wildcard team? If this is a team that loses to, like, the Cardinals or the Brewers or the Padres again, that would be hysterical. See, that would be extremely funny because it's also the same Mets fans that were crying that they're all paying to win. Right? And now Any you're paying to win more than anybody else in history. Dude, yeah, can I just say that? Any Mets fan that has ever given me or any other Yankees fan sh over the course of their lives for saying, oh, the Yankees pay for their superstars. You buy your rings. You don't grow them naturally like the Mets. The Mets tree of prospects is as organic and real as the plastic that's being thrown into the ocean. That's the most artificial shit that they're building with their team. That's not me, you know, crapping on the Mets for that. That's me saying any Mets fan that's ever said that, you can't say that anymore. Yep. So in giving you a superstar team, Steve Cohen has taken away one of your biggest arguments against the Yankees. That's the yes. victory I'm going to take from this. <laughs> the moral high ground. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> we can't say that because we're Yankees fans. But my yeah, point is, listen, I'm happy for Mets fans because they finally have an owner that wants to win. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't say that about their previous ownerships. And that is fantastic. This has been a team that's been long-suffering. I mean, forget the team. The fan base has been long-suffering, and now they finally have a savior. Now, here's the issue. I was cheering Steve Cohen about five to ten minutes ago. I've lost track of time. That he's spending money, and now this incentivizes owners to spend. The problem is, in three years, if this doesn't work, that's just not going to incentivize them at all. It's going to be like, we're on even playing ground. Because if they can't even win, 
then we can still beat them by doing what we're doing, being lazy-ass bums that don't want to spend our money. Not every owner in baseball is like that. I would like to point that out as a disclaimer, but I'm looking at a very few in specific, and they know who they are. The other problem I see for the Mets in the future is, you mentioned it, their prospects, they don't really have a whole big woohoo list, in my opinion. That's kind of always been the way I've seen the Mets, except maybe 10 years ago, but whatever. Their top three is really good, but no depth at all. Yes, exactly. And the other thing is, you can spend all the money, but eventually when some of these players come crashing and burning, if you sign them for long enough, you're going to be in hell for a while. Because unless Steve Cohen is just going to eat the money and release them and not really care that he's going to maybe have to spend $35 million up front or create 10 different Bobby Benias, then <laughs> they're going to be in hell for a while because no one's going to take on these contracts if these players are not going to perform to them. So, what? Is it baseball related? The Mets just traded James McCann. What the f***? Right now, right this second, he's an Oriole now. Orioles, they made their splash. You're f***ing kidding. I hate luck. Come on. Hey, For you know what? what happens in our recording? And it's relevant because we're talking about the Mets. Dude, I was going to say, just be happy this happened while we were oh. while we're recording. If this happened after we stopped recording, <laughs> I might have put my head through the wall that's in front of me. But the point is... Dude. <laughs> okay, so now I need to know their return. Because initially I heard it was going to be Liam Hendricks possibly going... Player to be uh, named later. That's great. So, Francisco Alvarez, congratulations. Now you only have to compete with Omar Narvaez. Uh, wait. Who went to the or They have Adley Rutschman. I'm imagining he's just gonna back him up, because... Maybe. Na name the Orioles backup from last season. Uh, Robinson Chirinos. Oh, damn, you're actually right. But either way... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe well done. DH. Let's thank you. Exactly. Okay, so that was just a mini spiel. Thank, first of all, thank you for doing that. Thank you, Baseball Gods, for making this happen as we're recording. <laughs> That's a nice change. Yeah, and now you could literally feel my pain as my voice literally cracked, probably the highest it's ever cracked on this podcast before. Uh, <laughs> because this is the pain we've gone through for the past three weeks, essentially, mm -hmm. of recording and editing. This is now the third session We've had to record in a row. Well, not in a row, technically. But the third time we've had to re-record something in the past two weeks alone because of big news. That threw me off my rhythm. Yeah, we'd like oh to not God. do this next episode, Baseball Gods. So if you could just cool it, if you could just have Liam Hendricks get traded to the Pirates or something. Have, who's the next biggest free agent out there, Tom? I'm not even sure. Like, JT's I... gone. Martinez is gone. It's no one that big. Maybe Craig Kimbrell, Gary Sanchez, I don't know. Unless another humongous trade happens, there shouldn't be any other reason for us to go back and record again. I'm gonna cross yes. my fingers and hope I don't end up eating those words. We and probably regardless, will. Regardless, this episode's coming out in like a day or two anyway, so we're, we're probably okay for this one. Knock on wood. <laughs> we almost screwed up. If we hadn't talked for a half hour in the other recording that we did before <laughs> this recording, we'd be screwed right now. That actually saved us. That's the funny thing, too. <laughs> Tom Procrastination! And were... Yay! <laughs> Tom and I were literally bullshit 
for a half an hour after we started our first recording. And one, I think it was you. One of us just went, hey, should we just start a new recording? At this point, we've been talking for like 30 minutes. <laughs> and that saved us because now we get we got to talk about James McCann. That's something I was going to be so pissed if we had stopped and we were talking and then that happened i you don't want to know what would have happened a meteor could have come crashing down and i would have punched it with all of my anger and might and saved the world and then the world would blow up because of my sheer anger god damn baseball gods please don't make us do this again we're both very tired of doing this you know, I almost want to. I, I was going to throw to a discussion about what's next for the Mets and the Giants, but honestly, now I'm so fired up. I don't even know if I want to do it. That's fine. Here, you want to know what's next for the Giants? Yes. Actually, use that $350 million to sign somebody, anybody, because your fans probably hate you right now. Just do something. If I'm if I'm the owner of the Giants, I'm going to my GM and saying, "Look, go, just go get somebody. Go get anybody. Go get Michael Conforto. Go get uh, Craig Kimbrell. Go get fucking anyone who could just give us someone to make a page about that the Mets aren't going to take." Because images have gone around of Giants promotional material with Carlos Correa in it, and it's really, really funny to see people post like that image saying, "Oh, Carlos Correa, San Francisco Giants highlights," and then three seconds after that, "Thanks for watching." <laughs> Oh my Man, god. The Giants really could have had Aaron Judge and Carlos Correa. Like they really had Aaron Judge and Carlos Correa at completely different points this offseason <laughs> and came out with no one. <laughs> if I'm a Giants fan, I am just I am drinking all the espresso depresso right now. Yes, if you're the Giants fan that bought a uh, jersey of Carlos Correa for your kid for Christmas, Merry oh. Christmas. Because <laughs> that's 4 days away. And oh, you're no. <laughs> that that might be actually worse than my Christmas fiasco that we're not even going to get to on the show. But <laughs> thanks, fanatics. God, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, could you imagine if I'm the dad that got his kid a Korea jersey? I'm actually like going into the garage and punching something. <laughs> that might be the day they have to tell them about uh, Santa. That might have to be the time. <laughs> it's like, Daddy, Santa sent me a Korea jersey. He's a man now. And then you, what, how, how would you role play that as Tony? You're the dad. I'm the kid. And I just said that. <laughs> Where is this recording gone to the fact that you just said that? <laughs> I'm dying inside. That's why. <laughs> So, if I'm the dad in that scenario, I'm saying, well, son, you must have been really bad because Santa, instead of giving you coal, gave you depression and PTSD. No, <laughs> Santa, I hate you now! Where is this gone? <laughs> it's been, it, it, it's the plot for Violent Night. That's the one guy who was, like, pissed at the, <laughs> the villain in the movie. The villain's origin story, he was a Giants fan. <laughs> Dude, I want to write a movie now where the bad guy's whole motivation is, I was a Mets fan during the Wilpon era. It's like, what is that movie? That's like, I thought there was a villain arc or a character arc. Like, oh, I had it shitty. Now they have it good. They need to know what it's like for it to be shitty. It's like a salty Mets fan who grew up only with the Wilpons. Like, no, now they get to grow up with Uncle Steve. No, that can't happen. God. Anyway, before this gets stranger, I say we cut this off right here, Tom. How's about it? Before another trade gets made. 
Please. Or another foot and mouth moment happens. So Please. enjoy the rest of the show. We're going to talk about, I think it's uh, Dansby Swanson's coming up next because we were in yes. the middle of talking about the three shortstops. I'm literally having to rebuild the episode in my head of what we talked about when. So enjoy our discussion on Dansby Swanson. It's a lot shorter than this. And he's not going to another team because he had his press conference already. Oh, God. Enjoy the rest of the episode. And with all due respect, we hope to talk to you again not anytime soon. Next episode. Ooh, Dansby Swanson. Seven years, 177 million. Uh, Tom, I'm going to rip a tweet straight from Twitter here because if you told me that Dansby would make more money in free agency than Freddie Freeman did a year ago, <laughs> I would think you're crazy. I would think you're dumb. And I would think, yes. what the f*** is that team thinking? No, don't get me wrong. Love Dansby Swanson. He had a fantastic contract year, one of the best, like, breakout contract years in recent memory. You know, it's not like Aaron Judge good. But it's still very respectable from what he's been. He was always a, oh, one year he'll break out type hitter, but above average defender. He quickly turned that into one of the scariest bats in an already scary Braves lineup and gold glove caliber defense at shortstop. He earned that bag, and I fully respect him for saying, Atlanta, I respect you. You're my hometown. I love you guys. But Chicago is literally offering me 15 million more dollars. Plus, it's where my wife plays soccer. So, sorry. Thing with Dansby Swanson is, though, I don't think, like, this is the same argument that people said, like, people gave with Judge when he got his contract. There's no chance Dansby's doing what he did last year again. This, to me, seemed like a lightning-in-a-bottle type season. Dansby's still relatively young. I think, uh, I'm actually gonna look this up. I think he's a little bit younger than, uh, Correa and Xander. Uh, he's gonna I'm gonna... Be... He's going to be 29 on February 11th. Okay, so yeah, he's a year or two younger. It's not the worst in the world, but I don't know. I can't shake this sinking feeling that the Cubs bought big on a one-year wonder, but I'm not sure. I respect the middle infield that the Cubs have built now with Nico Horner at second and Dansby at short. That's a really nice defensive pairing you've got going there. But I don't know. This is a contract that I need to see next year because I this is probably the one I'm most skeptical about. They had a lot of money. They put it all in Dansby Swanson's basket and basically fully expecting regression. I feel the exact same way about Dansby's contract now that I did about Marcus Semien's contract next year. I think that's uh, sorry, last year, next year. That, that's my <laughs> way of describing it. I like getting him in a vacuum. But last thing I'll say and then I'll throw it to you, Tom. Think about it like this. The Cubs' first highest paid player next year is Dansby Swanson. Then it's Marcus Stroman. Then it's Jason Hayward, who does not play for this team anymore. <laughs> the, the Cubs are really riding their efforts next year on two good hitters and one good pitcher. Good luck, Chicago. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought up Jason Hayward because I was going to do that if you didn't. Now, I'm going to start in Atlanta with this one. And for all the Braves that are pissing on Dansby Swanson, chill the hell out. You still have Vaughn Grissom and a fleet of young guys that you can rely on that you don't have to pay $177 million to. You're going to pay them about $70 million over a 10-year contract because that's what Alex Anthopoulos does to all of his young stars in Atlanta. Chill. He wasn't going to be—he's not going to be this good as he was this year with 5.7 war as he will be in two or three years. I get he was a fan favorite— I get he peaked this year, but 
guys, this is going to be the deal that blows up in the face. This is that other contract I was talking about 10 minutes ago when I said the two shortstops that I have a feeling could blow up. It was Bogarts, and it's definitely going to be Dansby Swanson, more so on the fact of Dansby Swanson. Now, why you mentioned Jason Hayward, Jason Hayward is a defensive gem. He plays spectacular defense. He also won a World Series with the Chicago Cubs, but that deal was also the highest paid player in Cubs history, and Dansby Swanson is number two. And guess what? They're very similar, if you think about it, in terms of their batting average and OPB and probably their peak years. Swanson this year had a 277 batting average and a 329 OBP. He only had an OPS plus of 115, too. His career OPS plus, for Christ's sake, is 95. He's not exactly a fantastic offensive hitter. Yes, Tony, I know you're shocked. I saw your face light up like a Christmas tree uh, when you heard 95 <laughs> is his career OPS plus. I didn't know it was below 100. Jesus. Yeah. It's wow. uh, it's, it's it's a little scary. What also is scary is he had 182 strikeouts this season. I get that strikeouts aren't necessarily the biggest worry in MLB anymore, but that would worry me if I'm going to pay somebody $177 million. Even if he's going to be great defensively and you can always use an anchor at short that can play fantastic defense, this deal is just going to be scary. Because just like Jason Hayward, Dansby Swanson is a brave. Was Well, Hayward was a brave, if you remember. He started out his career there. He peaked, arguably, with the Braves. And now he's going to Chicago, where he's going to be a defensive gem and an offensive liability, probably, down the line. Now, is it going to happen necessarily right away? I don't know. But the Cubs don't have a lot of anchors that can necessarily help Dansby Swanson get into favorable situations, I don't think. I think that strikeout number is going to be there. I think wherever he bats, it's not really going to help him drive in runs, so you're not going to see 96 RBIs from Dansby Swanson anymore. The power, eh, maybe he'll hit, hover around 20 home runs. I think probably Atlanta will be a little bit more favorable than, say, Wrigley Field, because I think it's a little bit more expansive out there. But, again, I, I just keep throwing it back to the Jason Hayward deal because I think it's exactly how it's going to turn out. I'm not saying the Cubs are going to win a World Series ring. They're just starting their kind of retool period. And I like, again, what they've been doing in the offseason, to be fair. I think they succumbed to the pressure of having to sign a big-name free agent. They missed out on Bogarts. They didn't sign Correa. They obviously weren't going to sign Judge. They weren't going to go after a starting pitcher. So they were left with Dansby Swanson. And it just so happens that his wife plays in Chicago. If that wasn't the case, I don't know if Chicago would be offering that money or if he'd even want to play in Chicago. But he's going to get a ton of money, and he wasn't going to get that money in Atlanta. So Braves fans, again, if you're mad at Dansby Swanson, be mad at your own team for not offering that money. Because I don't remember the last time the Braves has spent a crap ton of money in free agency on a big superstar player. Not like a Charlie Morton where they're making like $20 million a year. That's a lot, but that's not what I'm talking about. So just a few angles I've got on Dansby Swanson right there. Yeah, no, I see where you're coming from. And the thing that scares me the most about that Jay Hay comparison, I'll say this, and then we're going to jump to uh, indisputably the best deal so far. Not biased at all. <laughs> Jay Hay was able to be carried his first year in Chicago by a World Series winning team. Jason Hayward won a World Series his first year in Chicago, as you alluded to, Tom. You know who Dansby Swanson's going to have to be carried by? Nico Horner and Rafael Ortega. I, as underrated as Horner is, he's not going to carry this team. This is a team that does not have a catcher right now, and their oh, everyday first baseman. Yeah, and their everyday first baseman from last year, it was sent down towards the end of the year. So, 
Cubs. Okay. Okay. Now that you mentioned the catcher, I'm a little teed off. You don't want to pay your franchise icon catcher. I get he's going to be 31 next year, probably. (laughs) And that's kind of, you probably don't want to sign a catcher like that long term, like the Cardinals did, even though, again, I think that's still a good deal. But you didn't trade him. You didn't want to pay your franchise icon, and now you're arguably just going to not make yourself really that much better. You're going to throw money at a huge free agent by virtue of he's a huge free agent. Like, what do you think he could bring to your team now? You have gaping holes all over the f***ing roster. It's not like you have mid or whatever players. Who's their starting catcher next year? Miguel Amaya? I I don't even know. I think Jan yeah. Gomes is their top choice right now, and he's definitely not going to be an everyday player because dude's 34 or 35 next season. Uh, wonderful. A's legend Jan Gomes, and that's legend Jan Gomes, actually. So, yeah, the Cubs, I don't know what they're doing. I respect some of their moves, but they have... Here's what I'll say. They have pieces, but not a hole. That, I think, perfectly encapsulates Chicago's offseason right now. They're going to be third place at best, just like always. Dansby Swanson's not changing that. Uh, that's our tirade on the three shortstops. Now, Tom, I would ask you where you want to go next. Yes. But I'm going to make the executive decision because I know who we both want to talk about. We haven't touched on Hoy Park yet. The secret weapon that's going to lead the Braves back to the World Series and emerge victorious over the Seattle Mariners. I, in seven games, I don't know. There you go, Braves fans. You don't have Dansby Swanson, but you got Hoy Park, noted legend <laughs> in many places in the Northeast. <laughs> yeah, he was in Pittsburgh, and then he was in Boston for like a week, and now you have him for basically nothing. Use him. He'll be your shortstop every day. Vaughn Grissom who? You didn't sign him to a big deal for that. He'll be Hoy Park's backup. <laughs> oh my god, I'm actually talking about Carlos Rodon, and Hoy Park is actually just another inside joke that we have, but... Let's get into the probably the last deal we'll talk about for the time being before we go into our next segment. Tom, Hal ponied up. The Yankees finally have their second ace on this team, which you could even argue that Nestor was pitching like an ace last season. And plus, oh yeah, you got to remember that they also have the ace left over from 2018 in Luis Severino. And I, I don't even need to describe to you people that a rotation fronted by Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon, Nestor Cortez, Luis Severino, and Frankie Montas, who I'll give the benefit of the doubt, he doesn't have to be the guy anymore like he was in the back half of last season. Plus, if memory serves, he actually was traded to the Yankees injured. Maybe they rushed him back, or maybe he wasn't at 100%. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Worst case, he'll be cycled out with Domingo Herman. I don't care. This is a top three rotation in baseball. I'd argue it is damn it is the closest the Yankees have come to the best rotation in baseball in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's particularly close. Like the only no. teams off the top of my head who I could think who I think could even compete with the Yankees right now in the starting pitching department are the Astros, the Dodgers, maybe the Mets. I'm honestly not too sold on them yet in terms of an S-tier rotation. And of course, the Pittsburgh Pirates. No, I'm going to shut up. But it's really those three. I think it's the Astros, Dodgers, and Yankees at the very, just the tippy top of the iceberg. I I would maybe throw the Blue Jays in there just because I do think if some people rebound, then they'll be a lot better and very, very scary. And a formidable threat. 
in the mm-hmm. AL East? Absolutely. I'm definitely referencing Burrios there because everybody else did pretty solid last year. I'm not necessarily going to throw the Guardians and the Rays in that discussion, although I do think they'll have solid rotations, but obviously they're not at the top because they don't have that star power necessarily. This definitely, again, gives the Yankees that anchor, that one-two punch that they've desperately needed and that we've pled for for the past few years. Now, arguably, I think we've need, we need another offensive piece. I would have argued probably more than the starting pitcher. But Hal said this is our best free agent still left on the market. Even if Correa was, say, the free agent still to be on the market at that point, Rodon was our best free agent because we wanted to prioritize that starting pitching. We locked down Aaron Judge, and, and that doesn't really change the offense, but let's actually make an improvement to something that we think can actually be a great of use to us for. And we've seen teams with deep starting pitching make those runs, such as the teams that you literally just rattled off. I can even throw the Phillies into that discussion because their starting pitching did pretty damn well this postseason, if I do say so myself. So yeah, Rodon, it's going to be great. Now, I'm a little concerned about his injury history because he has missed time in the past two seasons, although I will say this, he has been elite in the past two seasons, criminally underrated by some baseball skeptics out there. I'm looking at mainly the Cy Young voters, but um, it's it's going to be scary. I'm very happy how made this move. It's not going to put as much pressure on Garrett Cole to perform, even though the pressure will still be there because one, it's New York, two, you're still making over $300 million, and three, you're Garrett Cole. But this is a fantastic addition for the New York Yankees because I do unfortunately think Nestor might slide off a little bit. As much as I love Nestor with all of my heart, I don't think he's going to... I think this could have been his peak. He could get better because now he'll be that number three or number four. But let's just say he's not going to be as good as this year. He's still going to be good, just not as good. And Sevy at the number four, yeah, we might only have him for one more year. But a one, two, three, four of the th- the guys I just mentioned, that goes head to head with anybody in baseball. Easily, the only AL team I'd be worried about is Houston with guys like Valdez, Javier, Garcia, and uh, Urquidy. That one through four can kind of stand with them. But even then, the thing I wanted to mention. Rodon and Montas are noted Astro killers. I was part- about to say that. Particularly Montas. If he could tap into that this year, even just against Houston, I know Astro fans are going to say, something, something rent-free, something, something rent-free. I don't care. The Yankees' white whale for the past five seasons has been Houston. It's not been Boston. It's not been Tampa. It's It's been themselves, yes, but it's mainly Houston. If this is the pitch, this is the best pitching staff I've seen this team have in my life. I said that before, but I'm going to reiterate it again. This is not just, oh, like we could use another pitcher. No, no, no. This is a luxury good. This is an extra armament for the Yankees to finally f- take down Houston. There's no more room for excuses, at least in the pitching front. And I'm so happy this is the route they decided to go with. Because, Tom, how many postseasons have we been saying, oh, you know, our ace had one bad game, but it's not, you know... We don't have that second guy to go to. We don't have that other dangerous threat. It's always, you know, a Luis Severino who was hurt or a Nestor Cortez who had a surprisingly great season out of nowhere. Great pitchers, but you need that one-two punch. If you mm-hmm. don't, like, think Nola Wheeler, Kershaw Bueller, just the past couple years, Verlander Valdez or Verlander, Verlander anybody from the Astros, really. The Yankees finally have that. 
I love this move. I could literally gush about it all day, as you could probably tell. But I'll leave it at this. Fortify left field. Let Peraza and maybe Volpe get playing time this season, you know, later on down the stretch. And just be the Yankees. That's all I've been saying for the pet, like, since the season ended, be the Yankees. And I'm so happy to see that they're actually spending and actually investing in the team. They didn't let Judge down when they signed him back. They're getting better. Props to Hal for ponying up. Can't believe I'm saying this, but props to Cashman for shaking the hand and getting the deal done. And please win. Just please win this year. Let this be it. (laughs) You're never going to get a better pitching rotation than this. Win while Seve's still on the team. At least make the World Series. Just make that appearance. If you lose, I'm still going to be very upset. But at least we can say we overcame the hurdle. Now we just got to actually accomplish finishing it off. Rodon's Houston numbers. First of all, I would like to point out he's a notorious Houston hater as well for any oh, uh, right. Yankee fans that feel a burning passion for hating the Houston Astros. Just ask me. They're still on my dartboard there, a World Series pennant with a bunch <laughs> of darts in it. He hates the Astros. You can go look at his quote, but he essentially said that pe- other people were suspended. Why weren't they? So I'll fit in with that Yankees mantra because, again, they can't get out of the past. But maybe this will help them overcome their fears of the past. 2-0 record against Houston in seven games, a 155 ERA. This is over 46 and a third innings pitched. 44 strikeouts, 12 walks, four home runs. He's only allowed eight earned runs in those essentially 46 innings pitched. He's very good against the Astros. That makes us happy as Yankee fans. Yes, it does. Now, trust me, I could talk about Carlos Rodon forever. There's still more stats that I have just locked in the vault. And even how excited I am that they didn't give him $200 million. It was reported he wanted $200 million, but I guess that no trade was kind of the bridge to 162 which I think is a steal, frankly, if he stays healthy. Mm-hmm. But I think, Tom, it's about time for us to move on. We've given the free agents and trades enough lip service. Maybe later on down the road, we'll revisit some of these. Like, we could talk about the Murphy trade and how it was kind of an L for everyone involved except Milwaukee. We could have talked about, uh, you know, Yankees legend Joey Gallo, but eventually we'll get to all these eventually, you know, by the time the season starts up at the bare minimum. So moving on from this topic, let's go on to what we promised you guys last week was going to be one of the two main cruxes for this episode, and that's going to be building mock ballots for the upcoming Hall of Fame election. It is that time of year, ladies and gentlemen, and we regret to inform you, no, we're not voting for Jacoby Ellsbury. We're just going to get that out in the open. We just said how much we love the Yankees. Not on either of our ballots. Sorry. (laughs) So, uh, the way Uh. Tom and I are going to work this little segment right here... We're going to go through who is on the ballot. We went through the newcomers last week. We're going to obviously pay them a little service as well, just a little bit, a little bit extra. We're going to mention who is going to be returning from our previous year ballots because those loyal listeners who have been listening over a year now, we did this last year. And spoiler alert, our opinions have not really changed on the fellas who we voted for last year and are reappearing on the ballot this year. So we'll get that done lickety split. And give or take, we'll have uh, three or four votes, I think, left over, Tom. We're going to use those to plug in the rest of our ballots, which, oh, I should have said that more outright. We're using all 10 votes because we're not assholes. And we're not going to remain anonymous because we're not assholes. Wink, wink. <laughs> I would I would name drop those assholes, but again, they're anonymous cowards, so I can't even do that. <laughs> so that's fantastic. I think that's the point of being anonymous. Mm. So, yeah. 
let's get straight into this. Here we go. The 2023 Baseball Hall of Fame ballot reads as follows in alphabetical order. Starting off with a returner in Bobby Abreu, then a newcomer in Bronson Arroyo. I really want to skip this guy, but I kind of have to mention him, Carlos Beltran, the very divisive vote that is splitting voters, I would say, this year. Returning is also Mark Burley, White Sox legend. Giants legend Matt Kane is on the ballot for the first time. R.A. Dickey, the knuckleballing G, is on the ballot for the first time, as well as three others who are on the first time, uh, who are on the first time, who are on the ballot for the first time, as follows. Yankees, le- I can't even say that with a straight face. Jacoby Ellsbury, Andre Ethier, and J.J. Hardy are on the ballot. Returning guy and possible Hall of Famer in the future, Todd Helton, is making a return. Tory Hunter is also making a return. And then we've got two more making a return. In Andrew Jones and Jeff Kent, I should note that this is Jeff Kent's last year on the ballot, the only person whose last year is on the ballot for this year. I could have sworn Gary Sheffield was in the same boat, but I think he and Wagner could be next year. And my final player that I'm going to name is a newcomer, John Lackey. And I'm going to pick up with another pair of newcomers, those coming in the form of Mike Napoli and Johnny Peralta. Andy Pettit is making his return to the ballot. I believe it's his fourth year. Uh, I should actually pull up the baseball reference page because I have all this information. Scrolling, scrolling, Andy Pettit. This is actually his fifth year. I was a little off. Also returning for their second year, I know this one, Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez. Tom, you want to talk about divisive? Uh, (laughs) There's thing one and thing two. Uh, We'll get to those when we get to those. Uh, newcomer in saves, I believe, top five save getter in all of baseball, Francisco Rodriguez, also known as K-Rod. We've also got returning legends in Scott Rowland and Jimmy Rollins. Tom, you brought him up earlier, but Gary Sheffield is also back. Newcomer in Huston Street or Houston Street. Tom, do you say Huston or Houston? I always said Huston. It's Houston, I'm pretty sure. I think it's Houston, but it's spelled Huston. I'm actually going to look. We have this information literally right in front of us, and uh, we're not looking this up. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, I've always said... Yeah, it's Houston. That's what Baseball Reference says. It is Houston? Okay, then I've been pronouncing your name wrong my whole life. Sorry, Houston. Yeah, Yeah. fun fact, his nickname is Larry. Go on. (laughs) Watch that be his actual first name. (laughs) Um, It could be. But yeah, Larry Houston Street is new to the ballot. We've got Omar Vizquel back, Billy Wagner is back, then filling it out with two newcomers in Jared Weaver and Jason Worth. Now, Tom, what I heard is a bunch of first-round exits and a couple guys who could make serious pushes for the Hall this year. I know we've mentioned this uh, last time the Hall of Fame came up, but this to me just seems like a year where, you know, there's no show-stopping names, so to speak. There's no Barry Bonds, there's no David Ortiz, there's no Kurt Schilling or Roger Clemens. So this is going to be a really good year for some of those mid-tier guys, those like 50 to 60% guys to boost their stock exponentially. We're going to go over those in, well, right now, actually, because, Tom, who on your ballot from last year? Actually, do we want to remind the lovely listeners of who we voted for last year? Yeah, you know, that would be a very nice idea. So I'll just start off with mine because you mentioned it. So last year, I voted for the following. And again, I used all 10 votes last year because I'm not a pansy. 
My votes went to Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, David Ortiz, Andy Pettit, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, Gary Sheffield, and Billy Wagner. Those were my 10 last year. Of course, four of those guys are no longer on the ballot, that being Barry Bonds, Clemens, I was about to say Pettit, but that's not true, David Ortiz, and Kurt Schilling. So that means there's at least four open spots on my ballot, and spoiler alert, the six other guys that are on my ballot are going to be on my ballot again this year. And I might as well rattle their names off again. Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Andy Pettit, Scott Rowland, Gary Sheffield, and Billy Wagner. They would receive my vote. And my ballot was just a little bit different, but you're going to notice a similar nucleus building up mine and Tom's. My 10 votes, again, I'm not anonymous, nor am I a coward. I voted for Bobby Abreu, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Todd Hilton, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, David Ortiz, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, and Billy Wagner. So again, I voted for the same four Tom voted for who are no longer on the ballot. So again, I also have four votes open, and my six votes that are not open are going to the same six individuals. Again, just for consistency's sake, I'll rattle them off. Bobby Abreu, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, again, last year on the ballot, gotta get a vote for him. I almost said David Ortiz, that would have been stupid. Scott Rowland and <laughs> Billy Wagner. So those are my six. It's the same four of Helton, Jones, uh, Rowland, and Wagner, but I have replaced Pettit and Sheffield with Abreu and Kent. So what Tom and I are going to do now is we're going to deliberate. Let's say go uh, back and forth or so, filling in these last four votes, because we have the votes, might as well use them, even if you don't think they're Hall of Fame worthy, just throw them a life preserver, keep them on the ballot for next year, because there's not a ton of Hall of Famers on this new one, if I'm being perfectly honest, but there's a ton of guys who I think could live to see another year. So, why don't we get started with that, Tom? Who do you think your first new vote, your first open vote, is going to go to? Before I do that, Tony, if you didn't mention this already, I would like to point out these are mock ballots, and we don't have oh, a yeah. vote whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, we should probably start with that if you're listening for the first time. If you looked at our followers on Instagram or Twitter, you would know that we don't even have a thousand combined follows on definitely Twitter. I don't know about Instagram. It might actually be over 500 combined. But yeah, we have no say in anything. These are just our thoughts and our opinions, and they are obviously superior to everyone else's. So obey them, bitch. Any rate, <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice bitch at the end there, uh, Jesse yeah. Pinkett. Thank you. I think I just, I think I just simultaneously got rid of all my credibility on trying to convince people to listen to us. But um, that's okay. I will. Live. It's only, it's only a podcast. Any rate, so I've got four open spots. And the first one I'm going to throw my vote to is obviously Jeff Kent, who's probably the best overall player that I didn't give a vote to last year, and it's obviously his last year this year. Do I think he'll get in? Probably not, because people are divisive over him, because people have said he was terrible with the media, he was sometimes a cancer, I don't really know. I didn't know the guy, so I'm not going to necessarily label him as those things. Yeah, Jeff Kent would definitely get my vote. One of the best offensive second basemen of all time, obviously. He actually might have the... Does he have the all-time second base-like record for most home runs by a second baseman? Or is that Ryan Sandberg? Or is it somebody uh, else? That sounds correct. <laughs> um, it's it's one of the two. I'm pretty sure it's Kent, though. I think you're, I think you're on the right track. I'm going to look it up. Gotcha, but I, I think if he wasn't as divisive and if he was just a tad better defensively, he'd probably be a Hall of Famer already. So Jeff Kent will get my vote. That means I have three remaining slots, and I'll just say right now, 
Tony, the guys I'm thinking about giving votes to are Bobby Abreu, Mark Burley, Tory Hunter, and let me see, Francisco Rodriguez, mm. and there was one more name. I believe it was Jimmy Rollins. It was definitely you John be, Lackey. Yeah, of course. The best player on the ballot by far. <laughs> definitely not Bronson Arroyo. Uh, now, you might be saying to yourself, Tom, what about Omar Vizquel? Well, Omar Vizquel is kind of a um, POS, if you know what the uh, Urban Dictionary abbreviation of that would be. He kind of is. And I know last year we kind of said we were throwing out the character clause, but then I also looked at his baseball reference page, and I was floored by just how poorly his offensive numbers were, <laughs> even if he has damn near 2,900 career hits. I'm pretty sure he only has two seasons of an OPS plus of over 100. He might have, like, probably over 10 gold gloves, one of the best defensive shortstops of all time, but he was a stat accumulator that the years, I think, honestly gave him those padded stats. So I'm not going to put Omar Vizquel with a vote. Beltron was the other guy who I think would honestly be a first ballot, honestly, given how weak the ballot is. But he was instrumental in that Astro scandal in 2017 that we've mm-hmm. already mentioned in this episode and countless others. So he's not going to be getting my vote because I am not going to vote for those guys that participated in that. Let's see. I'm going to try and be quick with this. I think the first vote I'm going to go to, again, I have three open slots. Bobby Abreu, I think, is going to get one of my votes. I'm probably having a little bit of Yankee bias in there, but he's definitely one of the best available players left that doesn't have a vote. So just by overall player analysis or however the hell you want to say it's statistical, I don't know. Uh, He was definitely one of the better players, underrated player of the era. Not going to be a Hall of Famer, but uh, he's a Hall of Famer in my heart. Uh, The next vote I will give to is actually going to be Francisco Rodriguez, (laughs) K-Rod, mainly because I want to see more relievers in the Hall of Fame. Uh, because there is only like eight, I think, in the Hall of Fame. I know it's like less than 10, I'm pretty sure. And I would like to see that number added to. K-Rod, one of the best closers of a whole generation and one of the best closers of all time. If he didn't kind of suck with the Mets and then kind of have this second half of his career, I guess you could say lol. And then he bounced back, which was really good to get to 400. But either way, I mean, he's got more saves than Billy Wagner and Billy Wagner got a vote last year. But, uh, yeah, K-Rod will be getting my vote. I do think he could potentially make it, but, again, it's really picky with relievers. If Wagner doesn't get in, then it's sure as hell not going to be K-Rod. Now, my final vote. It could either go to Jimmy Rollins, Tory Hunter, or Mark Burley. This is a tough one, Tony. Because all three, I think, could get the votes. I mean, it's it's tough. All three are in that weird, like, in-between phase. Like, they have stuff they did really, really good, but mm-hmm. they don't have that extra oomph factor to really elevate them to Hall of Fame worthiness. Like, Rollins has the accolades and the rings. Hunter has the longevity. And Burley's got the wins. He's got 214 of them, I think, on his career. But and a, other and than a perfect that, game. And a perfect game. You're forgetting that, too. And Torrey Hunter has that amazing catch in the All-Star game. He may have even been an All-Star game MVP at one point. Um, and Jimmy Rollins won an actual MVP, as you mentioned. Jesus, I'm not going to put that much thought into it because I know we have to get on with this episode and Tony Sauce to rattle off his guys. <laughs> so if I had to pick one off the top of my head, I thought an answer would just come right away and then I'd be like, aha! Uh, I'm disappointed it wasn't Houston Street. You said you wanted, <laughs> yeah, you. You said you wanted more relievers in the Hall of Fame, man. There's another one <laughs> yeah, right there. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I do have some guidelines I would like to point out for for Hall of Fame relievers, and Houston Street would not make them. Unfortunate. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I'm just going to say it. Jimmy Rollins, I All will right. give my vote to. I, I really want to give a vote to Burley or Hunter, but Burley I feel like would get enough support either way. I'm thinking of it as if I were a voter. Hunter could sneak in. I guess, I mean, he might get the least amount of votes out of them all, but I already said Jimmy Rollins. I'm just going to stick with it. If I'm thinking of who was the best at their position over the course of stacking it up against the rest of baseball when they played, I think Rollins has a case that he was a better shortstop than Hunter was an outfielder stacking things up and definitely more than Mark Burley was a starting pitcher compared to the rest of the league. That's where I'm going with it. And those are my 10. All right, fair enough. We're going to go through our 10 again once I'm done with my four, which thankfully, you going through all that gave me time to think of my four. And spoiler alert, <laughs> it, we're, we're going to have almost identical ballots. Not identical. It's going to be one difference. Oh, so, is there now? I was kind of thankful you didn't pick, like, out of those three you were between, one of them was, like, my surefire pick. Like, I want to pick this guy. Mm-hmm. Thankful it wasn't him. It was not Jimmy Rollins. So I'll get to him when I get to him. I'll just blow through these three because kind of already explained at bare minimum one of them. The first guy I'm adding to my ballot with my seventh vote, no duh, Andy Pettit. I kind of like revoked my Yankees card, my Yankees fan card last year for not voting for him and almost giving a vote to Joe Nathan in his stead. But rest easy, neither of them got my vote. But now I've got no reason not to vote for Andy Pettit. There's not really much I have to say to introduce him. One of the best pitchers in Yankee history, one of the best postseason pitchers in Yankee history, franchise leader in numerous stats, and one of the core four, the Fab Five. If not for his sheer reputation and success, both in the regular and postseason, you know, you're going to get the Jeter argument of, oh, it's because he had more chances. Well, he took advantage of those chances. He could have gotten those chances and squandered them. He took them and ran with them. So I'm giving Pettit my vote for that reason, and totally not for my Yankee fan bias. No, heavens no. I actually thought about this one because, Tom, I originally wasn't going to give Gary Sheffield my vote, but then I remembered that I really only left him off because last year's ballot was so stacked. And if you go by our definition of sorts as to how we view steroid users, if you don't remember it, just real brief, it's how we justified putting Bonds and Clemens on our ballots. We don't like steroid users if they were penalized for it. If they cheated when MLB said, hey, It's wrong to do steroids. We're going to start suspending you if you do it. You're not going to get our vote. Hence why A-Rod and Manny Ramirez are not getting our vote. Trust me, if that wasn't the case and or they didn't do steroids, A-Rod be a first ballot Hall of Famer. So would Manny, not going to lie. So I'm going to throw a vote to Gary Sheffield's way because he falls before that time frame. I believe he got ousted for steroids before that hit the fan, for lack of a better term. If I voted for Bonds just by proxy, I have to vote for Sheffield. The guy hit 500 home runs, so I don't think I need much more reason than that. Gary Sheffield's my eighth vote. My ninth vote is also going to go to K-Rod. I'm not going to talk very long about him because Tom already did. The guy saved 436 games. No, I can't read. 437. I'll just tack on. This has nothing to do with his Hall of Fame prowess, but he was the pitcher who induced the Luis Castillo dropped pop-up. That belongs in baseball immortality, and Luis Castillo's not getting into the Hall of Fame, so might as well give a vote to K-Rod for it. 
Oh, definitely not his finest moment, but it's not like it was his fault. I'm just making the correlation now. Didn't K-Rod do that same thing Edwin Diaz does when he, like, points up at the sky and it's like a home run? Didn't K-Rod do that on that play? Like, is that that where he got it from? It's like like Mets lore that a closer has to do that, I feel like, now. Well, to be fair, K-Rod was right. It was a pop-up straight to the second baseman. I remember he, like, flexed his arms afterwards, too, screaming at the sky. Listen, this is not a home run, and this is not K-Rod's fault. This is Luis Castillo for dropping (laughs) literally the easiest fly ball possibly, like, that he could have possibly gotten in that situation. But I I just found it funny. Go on. I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't really have much else to add to K-Rod. I'm completely with you, Tom. There need to be more relievers. In the Hall of Fame, you could you could literally list them all on two hands, and I think eight, you were actually right. That's nine votes for me. My tenth vote is going to Mark Burley. Mm. This is a guy who I think, he's probably not going to make it in. Scratch that, he's definitely not going to make it in. His first go on the ballot was not exactly pretty. Uh, I believe he only accrued 5.8%. If my computer was, will scroll, yep, 58 Not the prettiest of pitching numbers if you look just across the basic stats, but Mark Burley is one of those guys who you watched baseball for, say, a decade. Let's say you watched baseball baseball for a decade. You would see Mark Burley every single year. Every single year he was on, he was on a team doing g- good to great. Consistent players like that. I, I hesitate to say even a decade because Mark Burley had a much longer career than that, obviously. I say a decade as just kind of a time sample he was in baseball for 16 years for a pitcher that's great it's only two fewer than Pettit and if you it's kind of funny I'm on baseball reference now if you look at their stat lines side by side Pettit and Burley they actually have identical ERA pluses with very 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 similar counting stats the only thing Pettit hasn't beat on is strikeouts Burley was always a pitch to contact kind of guy plus Pettit did have the two extra years on him but other than that very similar pitchers in Burley and Pettit. And you ask me, they're so similar that the only thing that really separates them are those counting stats and the playoff experience that Pettit got from those two extra years and playing for one of the best dynasties in sports. So Mark Burley may never have been that like bright, shiny superstar pitcher. Granted, he did have that bright, shiny superstar moment in that perfect game, but he was he, he was what he's what I call a blue-collar pitcher. He showed up every single year pitched to an ERA plus somewhere around 120 and was generally a rock in whatever team he pitched for his rotation. He's almost like the Scott Rowland of pitchers to me. Not not in the same respect. Scott Rowland was a much better player, but Mark Burley to me is that consistently good to great pitcher that I think deserves at least consideration. So he's my 10th vote and that is why. So again, just recapping my ballot before we head on to our final segment. The gentleman I uh, would be voting for into the Hall of Fame, if I had a vote, would be Bobby Abreu, Mark Burley, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, Andy Pettit, Francisco Rodriguez, Scott Rowland, Gary Sheffield, and Billy Wagner. I guess I might as well rattle off my 10, too. I would also like to point out something I realized about Mark Burley. I don't know if you mentioned it because I kind of zoned out a little bit, but I did like your argument for Mark Burley, though, being that rock. In every single year, outside of his rookie year, when he didn't necessarily wasn't a starter, he had, he had pitched in 30 games in every single season that he had played, from the mm-hmm. age of 22 to 36. Reliable. Which I love that about Mark Burley. Incredible, which I'm just now realizing, which kind of makes me cast out into my vote for Jimmy Rollins, but even then, I already said it, so it's going to be canon now. Uh, I'm not going to go no takesy-backsies. 
<laughs> on that. So my 10 would be Bobby Abreu. I'm looking at my 2022 ballot. I was going to say Bobby bon- Bobby Bonds, Barry Bonds. <laughs> Bobby Abreu, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, Andy Pettit, Francisco Rodriguez, Scott Rowland, Jimmy Rollins, Gary Sheffield, and Billy Wagner. Those are my 10. Again, that 10th pick I'm very divisive with of who I would flip it between the three. Ask me again tomorrow, I could say Tory Hunter. Ask me a week from now, I could say Mark Burley. It just really depends on the w- day of the week and how I'm feeling. But I guess I was in a Jimmy Rollins supportive mood because I know I'm going to have to buy that 2008 World Series pennant pretty soon to add to my ongoing collection of World Series pennants from the year I was born until now. Although then again, I just bought the 2005 White Sox one and that's got Mark Burley's face on it. So I, I don't know where I was going with that. But any rate, that will do it for the our Hall of Fame picks for 2023. Stay tuned in January or February or whenever they announce it for the inevitable disappointment of probably no one getting in. <laughs> um, realistically, though, probably Scott Rowland definitely has the best opportunity. Quite frankly, might be the only one that actually makes it unless Jeff Kent gets a huge boost in support in his final year, which even then I don't think will happen. But um. We'll see. So it's probably, if it's not Scott Rowland, it's probably not going to be anybody, to be honest, which is a little sad. Maybe Billy Wagner, maybe Todd Helton, but even then, those are just stretches. So let's move on, Tony, and move on we shall to a segment that we actually recorded two weeks ago. (laughs) Now, we had every intention of making this a 50th episode special, but we didn't get to do that because of Aaron Judge, Trey Turner, Justin Verlander, and somebody else who I'm forgetting and I don't really care about right now, signing contracts that we needed to talk about in lieu of that because that was bigger news at the moment. And technically, what I'm about to say, teams of the year is evergreen. So do you want me to explain the rules, Tony, or shall you? Uh, I'll do it. Just get it out there. So... The way we built these teams is exactly the same way we built our teams of the month and teams of the first half. We went in a draft one after the other type fashion, building a full MLB roster of the best players from the previous season. And we, this team consisted of a full nine plus a DH, a starting pitcher and a closing pitcher. Same deal. By the time we got to the point where we couldn't really screw each other over with the DH, which by the way, the DH could be any hitter that was still available, didn't have to be specific, didn't even have to play a game at DH, you could just draft anyone, put them there. Once we got to that point, we went two at a time, just to expedite things. We both built some pretty good teams. We kept track of them, there's going to be graphics going up sometime after this episode comes out, and yeah. We may have name dropped in there because honestly, I haven't listened to this audio in two weeks. Just to be frank, we may have referenced stuff from last episode in there. And if I don't outright cut it out because maybe it's funny or it pertains to the conversation, just just humor us. Last episode was weird with all the winter meetings going on. So kick up, uh, kick up your feet. So <laughs> I mean, kick- you could do that if you want to, unless you're in a car. Please don't do that. Then we don't advise doing that. <laughs> yeah, no. Diamond Duo Podcast promotes safe driving and only safe driving. So yeah, kick back, relax, and enjoy Tom and Tony from two weeks ago talking about players who stopped playing months ago. Enjoy, folks. So I believe Tony's got his giant ass coin at the mm-hmm. helm, or does he not have that? Do I have to break out my dice? Yes, I have to break out my dice. 
you have to break out your dice because Tony lost his big coin. I'm very, oh it's, it sounds like I'm saying God. Bitcoin. No, I lost the big coin. I don't know where it went. I just came down here one day. It wasn't on the desk. Yeah, Tony invested in Bitcoin, and this is proof that he lost actual money in it. Don't invest in cryptocurrency, kids. It's going down the yeah, Um, that's Well, that's a given. Well, yeah. So what I've got in front of me, or rather in my hand right now, is a D20 dice. <laughs> and whatever number it lands on, whether it be odd or even, or we could do a 1 through 10 type of thing. Whichever Tony prefers, he will call it out, whichever one he wants. Whatever it lands on, obviously, will get the pleasure of picking first overall, and we'll probably be picking the same player that's on both of our minds, and it's probably not hard to disseminate who that player necessarily is. Albert Pujols. Yeah, of course. So, Tony, since you, since I am rolling the dice, I will let you pick first, and I will record this to and send the video over to you, so that way you know I'm not cheating. All right, I... I believe you, but uh, for the sake of this dice roll, let's just do odds and evens. Okay. Say that's fair. Okay, odds um, and evens it is. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call evens. Why not? Even Stevens. Even Stevens. All right, we get one dice roll. This isn't no best of three, best of five, or best of seven bull. Unless I say it is, and it lands. It's on... seven. Yeah. Roll the dice seven times. <laughs> yes, and which and one maybe you... we'll decide a winner. Yes, and which one did you call again? Evens. Evens. So if it's an even Stevens, it's Tony's first pick. If it's an odd, then it's mine. So, let's Give see. Me my boy again. Who will pick first? Give me my boy. It lands on 16. So, Tony will get yes. the pleasure of picking first. And now I don't have to send the video over to him because it would be pointless. No. I genuinely want to count this out once we're all said and done based on how many times I've drafted this guy for teams of the month. Are you set to go right into this? Because I don't think there's any point in leaving this in suspense. You know, like, I, I, already, I, already, I already know who's going to be your first overall pick. By the way, there will be a two-minute timer on the clock for each of us to pick. I'm not even going to set it up for the first like couple <laughs> picks, because I probably already know where Tony's going to go with these. I'm just going to write it down right now, because I know who you're picking. Go. Uh, Dominic Smith. No, it's not Dominic Smith. It's Aaron Judge, because... <laughs> I, I alluded to it earlier. Do I need to go through the whole song and dance of why he's amazing again? I'll just read you some of his numbers. 207 weighted runs created plus. OPS plus is a little bit higher, actually. 211. 10, Jesus Christ, a 10 war season by uh, baseball reference, but an 11 war season if you go by fan graphs. Jesus Christ. What else is amazing? Oh yeah, how about 62 home runs that set an American League record and fuck everyone who said it's not momentous it is momentous even if it's not the mlb record shut up let me be happy the yankees didn't give me too many reasons for that this year i it's aaron judge he put up the best hitting season since barry bonds baseball reference needs to shut up with these ads because i'm talking about aaron judge it's personal now but anyway yeah led the league in pretty much every offensive category you could imagine outside of batting average he's he's amazing he's my right fielder and i'm not gonna think twice about it Gotcha. So now you might be thinking to yourself, Tom, there's an easy, obvious pick for number two. And let me point this out there for the rule book. If we're going to draft Shohei Otani, it has to be either for the pitcher or for the DH. It cannot be a combination and then put it at one position. So that will be the clause. Otherwise, I would definitely be picking Shohei Otani here because he can hit and pitch. And obviously, according to Ben Verlander, that makes him the most valuable player in the American League. I will not be doing that, but I will be taking the other award winner in terms of MVP, and of course, that's Paul Goldschmidt. 
Shouldn't come as much as of a surprise if you've been following along in these drafts. Pretty much the second best hitter besides Aaron Judge in baseball, you can argue this year. 7.9 war on the year. Obviously, the MVP winner. I just pulled up Nolan Arenado's numbers. I'm going to not do that and pull up Paul Goldschmidt's numbers, which is 7.8 war on the year. 35 home runs, 115 RBIs, 317, 404, 578 clip. Led the National League in slugging, OPS, and OPS Plus, again, at 578, 981, and 180, respectively. Also, handedly walked away with 22 first-place votes in the National League MVP voting. The clear front runner for most of the year, Paul Goldschmidt, will be on my team as my first baseman. All right, fair enough. I was really hoping you'd go Albert Pujols. He had such a great season. Listen, you never know for DH, man. Never say never. Now, this is kind of the pick I dreaded most, because as awesome as it is that I got Judge, where do you go from here? Because mm. there's, like, with teams of the month, it's very clear, like, oh, there's a really good National League third baseman and a really good American League third baseman. You've got all of baseball to talk about here, every position, every player. There's a part of me that's even tempted to go pitcher, but I don't want to do that this early. Because the strategy I'm thinking right now is not even just who's the best on the board, which don't get me wrong, it's obviously my strategy. It's also a little bit of which positions are the thinnest, because I'm thinking in particular two in my head where there are a million different options. And one of them Tom just picked, so I'm not picking a first baseman right now. I have an outfielder already, so I'm okay shifting over to the infield. And I think I'm going to do that. I'm actually going to take a second baseman right now. And as much as my stupid ass regrets taking Tommy Edmond in the team in the first half, I'm going to rectify that and take Jose Altuve as my second pick. I was really now, hoping you were about to say, F*** you all, I'm going to take Tommy Edmond again. That you that would have been funny. Damn it. <laughs> hey, Golden, you know I'm what? You can, still, you can still change your mind. That's all I'd like to say. Ah, no, I'm not going to do that. That's cheating <laughs> get it jose altuve <laughs> <laughs> hilarious they still won the world series this year so we should probably shut but up i don't care i'm still gonna be a salty yankees fan a salty yankees fan that just took judge and altuve back to back and i'm just now seeing the irony in that <laughs> but jose altuve really quick loki had one of the best seasons of his career I'm just going to put this up side by side next to his MVP campaign because I think in a lot of ways he actually improved upon it. I mean, for one, his OPS plus was the same. 160 on in 2017, 160 here in 2022. His power was actually a little better. More home runs and, uh, well, actually fewer RBI, you know, batting towards the top of the lineup, but still. Slugging percentage and overall, you know, bat to ball skills, or excuse me, ball in the gap skills went sky high. OPS plus, like I said, of 160, but WRC plus of 164. That is fourth in baseball behind Goldschmidt, Judge, and an individual who's yet to be drafted. 5.1 baseball reference war on the season. It is 6.6 .6 on fan graphs, so really not too much disparity. Jose Altuve was a diamond in the rough of a pretty slim pickings type of position this year. You know, there's only really one other second baseman I considered. I'm sorry if that sentence was incoherent. An ad was playing on loop. Thank you, baseball reference. <laughs> but no, I'm going to stop rambling. Jose Altuve is my pick. See, that was a very good strategic pick to pull right out of the gate. Now the question becomes, how do I approach my strategy? Because Tony took my strategy. 
And it could be go with, do I take the best yes. player on the board that I don't want Tony to take? Do I take a position that might be thin, which Tony might be doing next? But I think I have some backups that I could go with theoretically if I wanted to. So what I think I'm going to do for now is take the surefire player that I definitely want on my roster. And it's also going to be an infielder. And it is going to be shortstop Trey Turner I will be taking here. Now, I know shortstop might seem like a really deep class necessarily, but I feel like this isn't nearly as close. I feel like Trey Turner was still overall the best shortstop in baseball this year, and I really don't think there's much of a competition. Now, not saying that there isn't competition ahead of him, but you get where I'm going with this. Now, he might not have had the highest war. It's still 4.9, essentially a five-war season, not the highest of some other guys on this list, but a very respectable season for him. Damn near 200 hits, 21 home runs, 100 RBIs, 27 stolen bases, something not a lot of people in baseball can say they had. A 298 average, 343 OBP, slugging at 466, OPS plus at 121. Finished 11th in the MVP voting, which seems a little bit low for Trey Turner, but whatever. Also won the Silver Slugger, and I just really wanted this stud of a player on my team because I felt like he was one of the best players available on the board. Fair enough. Shortstop is one of those two positions that, like you said, there's a ton of guys to choose from, so I'm kind of glad you planted your flag on Trey Turner. Great pick. Don't get me wrong, I'm with you that he's probably the best shortstop, but I don't think there's too much of a difference between the best shortstop and the second best shortstop. I think there is. And this difference in particular is what's leading me to my next pick. Going again for a position that's kind of thin, sort of, kind of, I'm going to take a catcher. Yeah, I knew you were going here. Yeah, so I feel like but that was okay. going to be you your can... plan B if you didn't take Trey Turner. Oh, um, that was that was my plan B, but I decided I know that the, <laughs> even if w I know who you're probably going to pick here, and war aside, I think there is a very even case that these players are on even ground. Fair enough. I mean, I think just in terms of all around eligibility, you know, bat and glove, because this is catcher, you need someone who could do both. There's really not much better you can get than JT Romuto. Definition of a second half warrior this season started off, you know, a little cold with the stick, still really good behind the plate, but absolutely came alive in August. Ended up finishing the year with an OPS plus just shy of 130. WRC plus is actually about the same, 128 and 129 respectively. But Romuto's value, like I said, lies in that war, defensive war specifically. He finished with 6.5, which is far and away the most of any catcher in baseball. I wouldn't really lean too far into war, you know, unless it's someone like Aaron Judge, who's just such an outlier. But for catchers, someone who is able to do both hit and field, I will never stress that enough. It happens so infrequently. And yes, there are guys like Wilson Contreras and Alejandro Kirk, Sean Murphy, Will Smith, fantastic seasons, all of them. There are plenty of good catchers to choose from, but I'm going to cite again that gap between number one and number two. I think the closest catcher I was going to pick outside of Romuto, as much as I wanted it to be my guy in fantasy, Wilson Contreras, it might have actually been Sean Murphy. Just again, that double threat is just lethal with catchers. And there's no one who does it better than JT Romuto, so I'm staking my claim. He's my catcher. Interesting. So now I'm going to go with a guy who I can flex at one of two positions. Now, is it necessarily the smartest decision? I don't 
know. But I feel like it's a wise investment because Tony picked a very good hitter on the Houston Astros, but I'm going to take their best hitter, their guy who they built their lineup around this year in Jordan Alvarez as my next pick. I'm going to put him at DH for now, but I can also flex him to the outfield if I really need to because he did play like 55 games out in left field this year. So to me, that could qualify him technically from a standpoint of whether I want to flex him at DH or left field or whatever. 6.8 war, a third place AL MVP finish, um, 37 home runs, 97 RBIs, an all-star this year. 306, 406, 613 numbers, OPS of 1019, incredible, a 187 OPS plus, of course he was the silver slugger at DH, there was no other way of looking at it this year, it was going to be Jordan Alvarez, without a doubt, one of the best hitters in baseball this year, I'm scooping him up before Tony can get his stupid little paws on him. All right, well, congratulations, my stupid little paws would have been on him for my next pick, so I took Altuve, you took Alvarez, maybe another Astro will come up when I pick Chaz McCormick as my first outfielder. Um, I will say, I am tempted to pick an outfielder, but at the same time, I made a discovery in that pitcher was one of those positions where it's like, oh, I'll take one, Tom takes the other. I really don't think it's a question of who I'm talking about here. It's just a matter of when we want to take them. This is really a question of what do you value more in a pitcher? Do you value sample size in terms of how many outs do you get or efficiency? Like things like ERA plus, how skilled are you at preventing runs? So, hmm, I think I'm going to go with sheer talent and that efficiency over it. I am going to go with a pitcher here just because something tells me that at the end of the day, there's a million outfielders you could go with for a team like this. Plus, I already have Aaron Judge. Uh, I'm going to take Justin Verlander with my pitcher interesting so there's two definitions of efficiency i think we can really take a look at here and you're going with the guy who's got the lower era i believe and more wins he has who cares about wins i i'm not taking verlander based on wins i assure you of that i'm not a cy young voter in 2010 or actually no 2010 they voted felix bad example but i'm gonna get sidetracked Justin Verlander has Alcantara beat in way more categories than I thought he did. The only problem is one of them that he doesn't beat him in is innings pitched, and that's a really slept-on stat for me with pitchers. Alcantara broke 200 innings, Verlander only hit 175. Innings are outs. A pitcher's job is to get outs. Alcantara got more outs, but Verlander got fewer outs, but also fewer mistakes. And I think for a pitcher like Verlander on an amazing team like the Astros, where more mistakes could have sunk some of their efforts, I just think that's more valuable. And the numbers really show it. A 220 ERA plus that led all of baseball, not just the American League. He had the best ERA in baseball too at 175, which is ludicrous to me. Oh, and by the way, fun fact, that 220 ERA plus, best of his career. Better than when he won the Cy Young and MVP in the same season, which, again, a little asterisk there. Almost pitched two, almost pitched 100 more innings that season. But still, I'm going with Verlander. Even though Alcantara is a fantastic pick, I think Verlander is just a more efficient pitcher than Alcantara was this year. So I'm going to take him. See, it's funny you took Verlander because I was probably going to lean the other way because it depends, again, how you view efficiency. Because Alcantara is the more complete pitcher. And I mean that literally because he's got six complete games this year, which is by far the most in baseball. Also has a much higher war, 5.9 compared to 8.1. 
I mean, he's got more strikeouts, wins, I don't give a about. ERA, eh, whatever. You can also argue that Sandy's thrown against more batters. If <laughs> Oh, this is funny. Devil number 666 for Justin Verlander. That's how many batters he's faced this year. That's ironic because Houston won the World Series. Yep. And Sandy also faced 886 batters. So you could argue that maybe some stats could be justified that maybe they'd be a little bit higher in terms of it would be more even in terms of ERA and all that crap with um, Verlander if that were the case. But in that regard, it probably would have made Justin Verlander's case even better. So I digress those comments. So now my next question becomes, where do I go from here? This should probably also be the point in the draft where Tony and I officially put that two-minute timer on the clock. I will say that might be a good idea, Tony, to institute at this point. It's not a bad idea. Although yeah. you had you had the first pick, so we can implement that in the next round, just so I get more time to think about who I want to take here. Um, and I think I have a good idea of where I'm actually going to go here. And I'm going to go with an outfielder, because I could say my outfield is bleak. I could even say that I have no outfield at all. But I am going to be taking an outfielder regardless because I desperately need one. Whether or not I want to use Jordan as a DH or if I want to put him in my left field spot. Either way, I need to eliminate some choices for Tony or at least one choice because I can only pick one guy here. Now I'm going to go based on war in this category. I'm going to be taking Mookie Betts here, the run producer for the Los Angeles Dodgers. There were some other choices I really could have considered, but I'm sure Tony and I will be picking them for ransom fairly soon in the draft. In case you didn't know, Mookie Betts had 6.4 war this year. Typically, in other seasons, that might be seen as one of the highest in baseball. In fact, he still cracks top 10 in terms of position players. Um, but, of course, Aaron Judge, yeah, no one was going to be better than him in the outfield this year. But Mookie Betts, I feel like, could be up there in terms of at least competition. Finished 5th in MVP voting this year, won a gold glove and a silver slugger in the outfield. One of the best outfielders, I could argue, the best outfielder in the National League this year. 117 runs produced for the Dodgers. That's the most in the National League. 35 home runs, a career high. 82 RBIs, 12 stolen bases, a 269, 345, 33 clip. OPS plus of 136. Fantastic season yet again for the future Hall of Famer, Mookie Betts. Thank you for making my choice easier because, spoiler alert, I'm also going to pick an outfielder. I was between two of them, Mookie and another individual. I was, you know, I, I was hoping you wouldn't pick that maybe I would have, you know, a pick of the litter type thing. But you know what? It makes my decision easier to pick Julio Rodriguez here to man center field for me. Surprise, because, surprise. I mean, Julio was, honestly, the more I look at his numbers, the more I really can't believe them. I mean, seriously, outside of the trophy room level of accolades this kid got in his first season, All-Star, Silver Slugger, Rookie of the Year, 7th in MVP voting, in a stacked American League, that is impressive as hell. Then there's the number themselves, I mean, 147 OPS+, plus, WRC+, plus, again, pretty close with 146. Baseball reference is a little kinder to him in the war department, 6.2, which is very, very respectable for a guy who can hit and field like a gem. Kid's got a cannon out there too. So Julio Rodriguez, the future of the Mariners, is going to be my second outfielder, shifting Judge over to right. So here is my strategy in this pick. There are some other guys that I probably could take right now that could be more wise maybe a position that neither of us have hit yet but i'm not gonna do that instead i'm gonna take a position that i've already hit but i'm going to double down on because i'm gonna move jordan alvarez to the outfield so that way my outfield looks beefier by comparison 
and I'm going to take my designated hitter here. I am going to be going back to first base for this selection, and I'm going to be looking again at the Los Angeles Dodgers because I'm going to be taking Freddie Freeman with my next selection. I could have gone double down at another position, but honestly, I knew Freddie Freeman led the National League and baseball, at least in two of these categories, and his year is kind of underrated if you look at it in a certain sense. So 5.9 war for Freddie Freeman. Led the National League, actually tied for a National League lead in runs, I believe, with Mookie Betts at 117. Led baseball with hits and doubles. He had 199 hits and 47 doubles. 21 home runs and 100 RBIs to boot. 13 stolen bases. That's more than some people that we've talked about already. A 325 batting average and NL leading 407 OBP. A slugging of 511 OPS plus of 152. Finished fourth place in the National League MVP voting in his first year and an all-star season out in Los Angeles as a member of the Dodgers. What I think is a very wise investment for my designated hitter here that I will be taking also means I don't have to choose and be picky and choosy about so many outfielders going forward. I can just tunnel in on one more outfielder if I want to and then focus on some other positions. All right. I'm kind of happy you went with first base for this because there's still a couple other guys on my radar who I could go with. I did want Freeman, so f*** you for that, but (laughs) at the same time, I'll I'll survive. Now, I'm between one of two individuals, and it reflects two entirely different strategies. So you can start the timer if you want, but I shouldn't be too, too long. Sure. We'll see if Baseball Reference interrupts me with an ad to disrupt my train of thought. See, you, you get an unfair advantage because Baseball Reference is yelling at me. (laughs) <laughs> see, I get ads, but they play so small my screen that it doesn't even notice. See, mine does that too, but I get the full volume for some reason. It's never happened until like the past few episodes of this we've done. Yeah, see, my volume is at completely zero when they play. I'm also milking more time away from you. I hope you know that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. <laughs> <sighs> because there's a part of me that wants to go for another outfielder, and since you've already, like, your DH is gone, you would have to go with the next best outfielder I give you. But there's one position I notice we're both avoiding because because the, there's two individuals in this position who we're going to end up picking. Yes. And since you have your DH already, this is this is literally the closest you can get to splitting hairs when it comes to these to these two players in particular. Because oh my god, they this is kind of ridiculous. There's really no argument to be made in favor of one or the other. It's I like this guy a little bit better, even though his stats are pretty much the same to the other guy. And I'm going to stop beating around the bush. I'm talking about third base. Tom knows I'm talking about third base. I'm not going to say the two players. Bro, their OPS pluses are the same. (laughs) That's fantastic. You have 10 seconds. Okay, Okay, no, they're not the same. One of them's actually slightly higher. Screw it, Manny Machado. Oh, I put you under the gun and you go with Manny Machado. Very interesting. Please tell me why. So I picked Machado, quite frankly, because I had 10 seconds. I threw a dart at the board and it ended on Machado. (laughs) <laughs> the other third baseman who I could have picked, they dude, they are literally as close as close could get. They are both gold glove caliber third basemen who put up OPS pluses in the mid to late 150s, have war almost at eight, both on baseball reference and fan graphs. Dude, 7.4 for Machado, 7.3 for third baseman number two. It's ridiculous how good they are, both of them, but I'm going to give the slight edge to Machado if only because I like his offense this much more. 
third baseman number two went on a bit of a cold streak to end the season. Machado got hot to end the season. And I like the word valuable to describe Machado because he was the engine of that Padres team. When Fernando Tatis, you know, it was kind of known he was going to be out for the season. It really didn't hurt that much because we knew how good Machado was playing. And he continued that if even he ramped it up for the home stretch. He played fantastically, and I know I've picked third paceman number two ahead of him in the past, but they're so close, I think it's finally time I give the nod to Machado that he had a fantastic season, and it's probably the best of his career. He'll be my starting third baseman. Okay, so I'm actually, I can't say I'm somewhat surprised that you took May and Machado here. I kind of figured you would go third base and you'd have your pick, kind of your pick your poison type of thing, and I have to agree with you. They are pretty much dead even. On many, many categories, it comes down to the littlest of details of who you want better. Offensively, one of them is just a little bit better than the other. But in terms of war and defense, there's no contest. And war, I see May Machado at 6.8 war. At least I'm looking on baseball reference because that's where I usually go to. And, I was looking at and number two, who you're talking about, is Nolan Arenado, who I will be picking right here. He's got 7.9 war and 2.3 defensive war. Man, Machado actually has zero defensive war, according to baseball reference, which I find very shocking, but I will make a nice case against him if it comes down to nitpicking and stuff, that Nolan Arenado is the more complete player in terms of those numbers on the analytical side. Now, I'm mainly taking Nolan Arenado here, mainly so that way Tony cannot have Nolan Arenado as his DH or Manny Machado as his DH. We kind of knew that these two would be the third baseman that we would pick. Maybe Tony goes with another third baseman here that he can um, pick the litter from. But I want to go with third baseman here because, um, frankly, I don't want him to have Nolan Arenado on his team because I'm that much of a friend. So now the question remains, Tony, where do you go from here? Your timer starts. You are going to call me crazy. I'm thinking about taking my closer here. That's not crazy, I don't think. Because I was going to say, there are two closers I'm looking at right now. They're way closer than I, th or rather, I thought they were closer than they actually were. There's one in the AL, one in the NL. And at first I thought, ooh, what if I edgy and I pick the one in the AL because he low-key, he had more saves and his, I, I think he struck more batters out. But I casually flipped over to Edwin Diaz's baseball reference page. Yeah, I forgot how good he was. <laughs> For some reason, I, I wasn't going to pick... I'll just say it outright because I can't DH him. I'm not going to pick Emmanuel Classe just because he has more saves. I figured his numbers were at least comparable to Diaz's, plus he had more saves. Yeah, no, Edwin Diaz had an ERA plus of 297. That is, I believe, 50 some odd higher than Classe. A 131 ERA. That's kind of ridiculous. I remember he went through a stretch of time, I think in the summer, where he just went like 17 straight games or something without allowing an earned run. That gave me flashes of Zach Britton in 2016 and really no one else recently. He had one of the better relief pitching seasons in terms of sheer run prevention and you know, finality, I guess you can call it, in recent memory. In terms of save, you know, accruing saves, he only got 32. But quite frankly, I don't care about that when my closer is putting up 3.2 war. Yeah, he was easily the most efficient closer in baseball, and it actually gave him some Cy Young and MVP votes, which I'm honestly not going to laugh at. I think he deserved them like he deserved that contract he got. So yeah, I'm going with Diaz as my closer, even though Colossae is a uh, honorable mention. Yeah, that'll make my uh, decision probably a little bit easier in terms of the relief department. I could actually go, 
in a few other directions when I get to it. Maybe I go with Ryan Helsley. Maybe I go with a Yoan Duran. Maybe I go with Emmanuel Classe. We shall see. I gotta do a little bit more digging into that, although I probably know who I'm going to pick already out of that group. So now it comes down to the finer details. And Tony, what positions do you still... I think you still have a DH that's still in play, right? I do have a DH that's in play. I have DH, shortstop, and an outfielder. I think that's it. Okay, so we will not go head-to-head and like just start rambling players for the sake of you have a DH still left. So now becomes the question of how do I want to fill out my team from here? So I'm going to... So I'm going to round out my outfield and also try and prevent Tony from grabbing possibly the next best hitter on the board. There's still another way he can go with it, but I'm going to just take Mike Trout right here right now. All right. I was comparing him to another player, and I just determined that I think Trout has a better had a better season in terms of core numbers that I would value necessarily compared to the other player that I was looking at, and I'm not going to say his name because he's still in play, but Trout, 6.3 war this year, despite only playing 119 games. That's a testament to what the 30-year-old can even accomplish. I'm not like looking at necessarily 124 hits and saying whoop de freaking do I'm looking at the other numbers and saying that's why he finished 8th in MVP voting, again, despite playing less than 120 games. 40 home runs, 80 RBIs, 283, 369, 630 slash line an ops literally one point short of 1000 at 999 a 178 ops plus just an incredible hitter mike trout is and we're just blessed that we get to see him play pretty much every single day when he's healthy on the los angeles angels and he will round out my outfield now i've got jordan alvarez mike trout and mookie betts all right scary outfield i honestly wasn't considering trout for a while because he's not a qualified hitter he wasn't showing up i'm not gonna tell you oh my god you can't pick him but who do you have left what positions yes i have my pitchers catcher and second base okay because i just remembered i have a first baseman to fill in as well um because i'm at the point where i don't think we could screw each other over like even with my dh like obviously i'm not picking one of your pitchers for mm-hmm. my DH. Who, who was the one spot you had left? Second base? I have second and catcher left in terms of position oh. players. I'll just tell you right now openly, as much as I do want to screw you over with that, I'd be kind of an idiot not to pick one specific individual for my DH spot. So do you want to just double up going forward just to expedite this a little bit? So you're not going to take a second baseman? No. Then yeah, you can double up. As yeah. There is one second baseman I would like to take, but it's more for defense, if anything. Yeah. Take- and plus, I think there's a better. I think the best player on the board who I could realistically DH, it, frankly, is a third baseman. So. Yeah, probably. So I will let you. Yeah, go ahead and pick uh, two position players, and then uh, I'll round off my position players. Sounds good. Well, what if I want to pick a pitcher again? Well, what I if mean- I want a one-two punch? <laughs> well, that is uh, not allowed by rules. Well, um, I am purposefully going to push off shortstop because honestly, I think that's going to be a harder choice for me than third base. <laughs> I, I want to be real with you, Tom. The three remaining free agent shortstops, you picked Turner, Correa, Dansby, and Xander had really good seasons, and it's going to be hard for me to discern between them. Even Frankie Lindor is an option. He's probably not going to be my pick, but still, I'll just get an easy one right out of the way. My DH is going to be Jose Ramirez. Fair enough. 
I figured one of the shortstops could be my DH. For instance, if I pick Dansby and then DH, I don't know, Xander. Yeah, no, that's until I remembered that Jose Ramirez put up a six-war season and is just generally, you know, consistently the best-hitting third baseman, I think, in baseball. Next to, you know, he could stand alongside guys like Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado when I don't think anyone else in third, uh, any other third baseman in baseball can do that. Plus, the big plus with Jose Ramirez, you gotta remember, the guy can steal bases. No other elite third baseman in baseball has that distinction, at least to the magnitude of Jose Ramirez. Just some other numbers to throw at you. A WRC plus of 139. OPS plus is actually much kinder. 148. Slash line goes 280, 355, 514. 44 doubles, by the way, which led the American League. I didn't know that. 126 RBI, which is kind of ridiculous that that didn't lead either league, but still a fantastic run producer in Jose Ramirez, a fantastic third baseman altogether, and someone I'm very happy to have as my designated hitter. Now for my next pick, I believe I'm going to round out my outfield, you know, just to get it done. And also because Tom, I'm kind of curious as to when you said, oh, the best outfielder is still on the board. I'm not going to say him though. <laughs> Well, I'm I mean, I can't, take an, I can't take an outfielder, so you could theoretically, like, say out loud who you want to take. I mean, I'm just curious as to who you were looking at, but, I mean, obviously don't tell me, because then... Yeah, I won't tell you. Duh. I will, I, I will <laughs> tell you who I was comparing Mike Trout to once you make your pick. Because there's a few there's there's a few guys, actually. Because, yeah, Fangraphs has a couple guys who I wouldn't think as outfielders, listed as outfielders, like, openly, I'm not going to pick them, but Jeff McNeil is listed as an outfielder here. I'm guessing that's not who you were comparing Mike Trout to. God, no. No. Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, honestly, there's a lot of guys. Yeah, there's a, you, you can go with Stephen Kwan. You can go with George Springer, Taylor Ward. Fuck, Juan Soto had a great season. All right, I think I know who I want. Go for it. You see, Tom, the guy I originally thought of going into this was going to be Kyle Tucker. Because he... Was he the guy? He was that guy, Yes. Because I'm not going to lie, I'm looking at Juan Soto's page on Baseball Reference. And even though he didn't have a fantastic MVP-type season, I don't know, 149 OPS plus, 5.6 war, that's pretty consistent with Baseball Reference. Or Actually, no, it's not. His defense was horrible, according to Fancrafts. What are you talking about? He was a gold glove finalist. Well, I Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> Silly me, how could I forget? <laughs> You know what? Because I'm going to decide right now. I, I, dude, I swear to God, I psyched myself out because I'm like, oh, Juan Soto's a much better hitter than Kyle Tucker, but Kyle Tucker's also an exponentially better fielder than Juan Soto. You know, I'm going Kyle Tucker. Just if I dawdle anymore, I'm going to take forever. <laughs> so I basically said my entire argument there. I probably could have picked Soto for the better bat, but Kyle Tucker is easily the more well-rounded outfielder of the two, at least last season. Great defense, solid bat, consistent numbers year in and year out. His numbers this year went 257, 330, 478 slash line. I had no idea his slugging was that high. Actually eclipsed the 100 RBI marker, which I didn't know he did. Good for him. 30 home runs, two, 25 steals. So you got the wheels on him. Juan Soto only stole six. It was actually a very, very, very poor base runner. Negative, negative 2.4 base running rating on fan graphs. That's abysmal. So yeah, actually, I'm very happy I didn't pick Juan Soto. Kyle Tucker's going to be my last outfielder. Tom, feel free to pick your two guys next. I'm actually just going to pick all four because I know who it's going to be, and the other two are pitchers, so you can't pick them. And we've already discussed them. So the I'll just get the pitchers out of the way first. Not that I would necessarily pick them in this order, but it doesn't really f 
because we can't pick the same players at this rate anyway. My starting pitcher is going to be Sandy Alcantara. Obviously, he's the other guy we were comparing to uh, with Justin Verlander not too long ago. I'm not going to compare them directly right now because I already did that and I exited the page on my uh, internets here. But a 14-9 record, 228 ERA, six complete games, a shutout. By the way, both of those are major league leads. Uh, kind of sad that one shutout is tied for the major league lead, but whatever. Also pitched the most innings in baseball this year. 228 and two-thirds innings, 207 strikeouts, faced the most batters in baseball, 886, and 178 ERA+. plus unanimous National League Cy Young winner, and yeah, just one of the best pitchers in baseball this year, depending again how you evaluate efficiency. For my reliever, I was torn between three names, and I already mentioned them all. Ryan Helsley, I forgot the name, so that's that's very <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, it was Manuel Ryan... Yeah, yes, Ryan Helsley, Yoan Duran, and the guy who I'm actually going to pick, which is Emmanuel Classe. He's was the reliever of the year in the American League. No surprises there. Helsley and Duran, not necessarily traditionally who you would consider for top reliever because they don't necessarily rack up saves, but damn, did they have filthy seasons. In terms of Emmanuel Classe, all-star this year, probably could have racked up Cy Young votes if he really wanted to. Three and four record doesn't matter. A 136 ERA is very nice. Led the major leagues in games. Games finished at 77 and 67. Also led the major leagues at 42 saves. Hashtag Mel Rivera. 77 strikeouts, 10 walks, a 271. Nope, that's batter's face. 281. That's actually better. <laughs> 8 ERA plus. Fantastic season for Emmanuel Classe. I would have picked Edwin Diaz just for the record if I had to pick between the two of them. In terms of catcher. I think I would be stupid if I didn't pick the rookie sensation from Baltimore, Adley Rutschman here. Now, you might say his numbers aren't necessarily, I don't know if he would necessarily qualify for batting numbers, per se, being that he just finished under 400 strikeouts, but there's a reason why he finished 12th in MVP voting, and he only played 113 games. Actually, he had 470 plate appearances, so he did have over... 400 at-bats, technically. He also finished second in Rookie of the Year to Julio Rodriguez, but whatever. Only 101 hits, but 35 of them were doubles, which is incredible. He also had a triple in there, 13 home runs, 42 RBIs. Those don't necessarily jump out at you. A slash line of 254, 362, and 445 with an OPS plus of 128 are very, very great for a catcher. But in his limited time in baseball, he posted a 5.2 war. If Adley Rutschman had played the 139 games that JT Realmuto had played compared to his 113 games, I guarantee you Adley Rutschman would have probably matched JT Realmuto's war, or at the very least he would have been considerably close, despite having worse numbers you can argue offensively. Defensively, he put up 1.5 war and 4.3 offensive war again in his limited time. Fantastic catcher, right, bright face. In MLB, I think he could be honestly the next Joe Mauer in terms of popularity, or Buster Posey in terms of popularity, in terms of catchers in baseball, and obviously he will be. That There's a reason he was the first overall pick. And real quickly, I'll knock out my second base pick, and that will be Andres Jimenez. 7.4 war, that was one of the highest war accumulations in all of baseball this year. I definitely know it's higher than little f Jose Altuve's. Uh, in the 146 games that he played... He ended up winning a gold glove, finished 6th 
in MVP voting. That's right, sixth. I don't necessarily agree with that, but if you put up 7.4 war, then sure, I guess that's fine. All-star this year, 146 hits, 17 home runs, 69 stolen bases. Nice. Tw- or, no, 69 RBIs. Uh, nice. <laughs> 20 stolen, stolen bases. bases. <laughs> a, sl- <laughs> a slash of 297, 371, 466, and a 141 OPS+. plus. Very great stuff. Also hit by the most pitches in the American League with 25. So congratulations on a lot of bruising. 2.4 defensive war, 5.6 offensive war for the Mets' former phenom prospect. Now phenom for the cleveland guardians and that will round out my team of the year for 2022 and i think it's about time i round out my team all i need is a first baseman and a shortstop i've already made my choices so i'm not going to dawdle i find it interesting tom you ended with a thought about the mets because my first baseman's actually coming from the mets i'm choosing pete alonzo <laughs> even though i don't know if he's the I was going to say, there are a bunch of good first basemen this year. I was this close from taking out of left field pick Christian Walker because of his defense at first base and comparable hitting. But upon further investigation, Pete just created more runs and drove in more runs. He's he's the best hitting first baseman left on the board. And when I draft first baseman, you know, defense comes second. It's pretty much the anti-catcher. So Pete, definitely the most valuable first baseman to me in that regard. OPS plus of 146, most RBIs in baseball, 131, 271, 352, 518 slash line. Fangrass is pretty kind to him as well, putting him as the fourth most valuable first baseman in all of baseball. Fan favorite among Mets fans, home run derby legend. So if there's ever a home run derby between our two teams, Tom, you are f- All right, so that was my first baseman. Shortstop, last but certainly not least, I'm going to go with Dansby Swanson. and. There are three other shortstops I probably could have gone with, but I think Dansby's numbers just jump off the page the most. He has the hitting prowess of a guy like Xander Bogarts, but he has exponentially better defense than all of them, at least according to the numbers I'm looking at. And being compared to Carlos Correa in that regard and still be coming out on top, that's really impressive if you're Dansby Swanson. Fangrass is extraordinarily kind to him, putting him at 6.4 war with a WRC plus of 116. Great hitting numbers all year. Almost cracked a uh, a thousand RBIs, a hundred RBIs. Actually trailing Trey Turner in that regard, but in every other way, I think Dansby is bare minimum comparable, and he's going to be my shortstop for that reason. 5.6 war on baseball reference trumps all of them on baseball reference too, so that's where I'm planting my flag. The second I finish my thought, the ad plays. Of course! All right, that'll do it for teams of the year. (laughs) Oh my goodness, keep an eye out on social media for those graphics and be sure to vote on who you think has the best team. Cast your vote on our Instagram story and on Twitter. We will announce the winner next week, uh, next episode, not next week. (laughs) All right, so that was two weeks ago, Tom and Tony, over our teams of the year draft. So we probably mentioned it, but I'm going to mention it again anyway. After this episode releases, give it a day or two. And then we'll be posting on social media, primarily Instagram, because that's where a majority of the votes come from, and also on Twitter. Look on our story on Instagram. Look on our post on Twitter, where we'll be putting out a poll, listing all of the players that we've gotten, including stats from the year. Uh, so that way you can compare and contrast if you want to. And then you can determine which team is ultimately your favorite team of the year. Vote for that. Tony's been on a hot streak. Let's knock him off of his uh, rockers, I guess you could say. Yeah, that sure. sounded weird saying that, but um, 
I'm not gonna lie. But um, let's knock knock him off his pedestal. That's what I meant to say. That's better. <laughs> it's a lot better than what I just said. <laughs> and uh, let's uh, vote for Tom this time around. But uh, yeah, we shall see. Again, the voting will be out very shortly. Bear with us. Give it again 24 to 48 hours after the episode. Voting will be up for 24 hours on Instagram and Twitter. At the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram, at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter. So, Tony, that's a hell of an episode, wasn't it now? Absolutely was. Don't know how long it's all going to come out to be because we've got a lot of cutting to do. So, I mean, I guess that's always a good thing. But, no, fun episode, a lot of transactions. We're going into, come to think of it, the next time we record, it's going to be in the new year. God damn, this, this went fast. So oh, Jesus. Yeah, it yeah, is. That just hit me. It's, I think it's actually going to be January 1st. So it's been a fun year, ladies and gentlemen. Obviously, this isn't a sign of you know big break or anything like that. We're going to be back same time two weeks from now. Uh, but it was a really fun 2022. Just the season, the off season before with the lockout. Well, that wasn't fun, but making content for you sure was. And just this last stretch here. It's been a hell of a year, and we're looking forward to an even better one in 2023. Uh... Hope you enjoyed the episode. And yeah, I didn't have anything to add at the end of that. Tom, would you like to add anything else before I send us off here? Just happy holidays, folks. Have a safe, safe New Year's and holidays, whatever the hell you celebrate. Hanukkah, Boxing Day, Christmas, Kwanzaa. I honestly forget if there's any others. I Bobby Bonilla Day. <laughs> Bobby Bonilla Day. Yeah, that's <laughs> the in the half... middle of July, but yeah. that's okay. The, the half we can celebrate birthday. that in December. Yeah, my, my half birthday will actually be in January, so that's ironic. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, the half birthday of Bobby Bonilla Day. That, wait, that's when we're recording next. It's July 1st. We're uh, going to be recording on the half birthday of Bobby Bonilla Day. So get stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Episode 52 is coming. The Bobby Bonilla edition. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to do a deep dive into Bobby Bonilla Day, the significance of that. <laughs> and probably some <laughs> New Year's resolutions, which is actually what we're going to be doing. <laughs> And it's not just for Tony and Tom, wink, it's wink. actually for teams around baseball. I really hope we still do that <laughs> two weeks from now, because if Hold not, on, then this forget. is going to sound really outdated. <laughs> Watch us somehow forget, or push I, it I, off I, like this other segment we've been teasing. Or I don't even know if we've teased it, but it's been on our rundown the past two weeks, or two episodes. Maybe we'll get to it. Maybe. Maybe it'll end up being uh, canned, just like another famous segment that we thought of. <laughs> Uh, to do for Halloweens for the past two years, and ultimately, we haven't been able to do. I'm going to send us off in a second, but we should do an episode with just those two segments. <laughs> like like Diamond Duo Podcast, The Lost Episode. It's like the two most pushed, out, pushed <laughs> off segments. You don't even know what we're talking about, folks, so I'm sorry for that, but it's going to be evident and hilarious when we do end up doing these segments someday, because no, we're going to mention it. Screw it. Here, Here's a pitch right now. We do episode 99, then we just go on a we just go AWOL hiatus for like a month and then we re- release episode 99 and a half before episode 100 the lost episode and then we just go back to our microphones that we had like at the start of the podcast just oh to make God. it sound like it's pre-recorded and then we we could do that it could be a whole fun thing but um we're let's not actually do that considering i threw my old mic in the garbage yeah let's not do that <laughs> God, you know what's also not do? 
dawdle anymore because I think yes, it's time please. to close. I think it's time to close the book on this episode as fun as it's been. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to episode 51 of the Diamond Duo podcast. Be sure again to go follow us on social media at Diamond Duo pod on Twitter, the Diamond Duo podcast on Instagram for more content, show updates, and of course, teams of the year voting. Be sure to keep an eye out for that and vote for my team, which is obviously the better one, but I'll be unbiased just this once. Go vote for whoever you think is better. And of course, this episode of the Diamond Duo podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. Thank you. I told you it would come back. See you in two weeks, folks. Have a good one.